Live from the 607, it's the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, where we're talking everything movies, TV, comics, and entertainment. Join in the conversation on social media with the hashtag ODPH, because here we go. Welcome to an all-new edition of the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. What is happening, everybody? Thank you so much for joining us this week. My name is Ken M. Joining me in studio, as always, you know him. He's the co-host. His name is Padawan J. Hello, hello, hello. Folks, we have a lot to talk about land of movies, TV, comics, and more. You are tuned into the entertainment edition of the ODPH, and we definitely want to interact with you after the show. So, Pad, where should everybody head to? ODPHpodcast.com. Right on. Swing on over to the website. Interact with us on the social media accounts. They're all right there on the front page. Check out the T Public store. Rumor has a sale is dropping very soon, so there is no better time to go get some ODPH swag than sale time at T Public. I just want to put that out there. You can also check out the Patreon link. Shout out to all our amazing patrons. One tier, $2 a month, and a bonus episode on your way. And then there's the blog section of Parlay Points. There's the classified section, which has friends of the show, such as 3FN Podcast, Dragon Master Games, and so many more. Live stream for the Cure links. Definitely want to make sure we're letting everybody know about that. May 18th through 20th, twitch.tv slash live stream for the Cure, F-O-R. And it's going to be Rich and myself from 607 uh, TWS breaking down No Holds Barred pad. Mm. So breaking down the Hulk Hogan classic, quote-unquote, Oh, yeah, brother. Yeah, so we are going to definitely be having some fun raising money for the Cancer Research Institute, and we're so honored to be a part of that. The link is right there on the website as well. You have the directory, which how many providers are we on, Tupad? Uh, 510,000. Sounds about right to me. The music section where you can hear such great bands as Shout Out the Robots, Tom Jolu, Brian Wolf, and so many more. Basically, if there's anything and everything that is the ODPH, you can find it at odphpodcast.com, and always remember on social media to use the hashtag ODPHpod. Kicking off the entertainment edition of the show, there's no bigger story going on right now than Marvel Studios' triumphant return to theaters, the swan song for the James Gunn-created universe, and that is the debut in theaters of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Mm-hmm. The unlikely franchise of the Marvel Cinematic Universe is now bidding adieu in its current lineup, in its current formation, in its current picture, mm-hmm. because of what pad reasons? Well, we know what the reasons are. Yes, James Gunn's got a went from not being real busy, a couple projects every here and there, to all of a sudden he's co-head of an entire uh, franchise's movie studio. Uh, in uh, DC Comics. Yes. Uh, this is coming off the heels of him getting removed at one point from being the director to the cast standing by his side and not willing to do the movie without him. Marvel finally came to a peaceful resolution. So this is going to be his last Marvel Studios project mm-hmm. for a while, if not ever. Probably permanently. I, I can see him maybe doing a TV special. Well, I say TV special, Disney Plus special, mm-hmm. you know, but in terms of just him being busy with kind of the day to day stuff, he's got the Superman movie coming up and then just everything else with running uh, the DC films, you know. If he has time to work something in, maybe he'll do something, but I don't think it'll be a feature length film. It's debatable. I mean, I, I always hate saying never in in this world just because 
Things happen for reasons. And this is going to be a situation that I don't see him coming back. I just, I genuinely don't. It's not, and it's not because of any bad blood between the two. It's just, dude's going to be busy. No, they definitely worked out every issue they had with his prior uh, departure from the MCU. Because obviously, which, which I got to admit, wasn't that long ago, but because of the pandemic, feels like 10 years ago. Oh, I agree with you. It just, the it, pandemic added like 10 years. It feels light years away that all the drama happened because obviously, since he debuted in the MCU with the original Guardians of the Galaxy film in 2014 and then 2017 was volume two, you know, he had always been synonymous with this franchise, bringing the cosmic element of the Marvel Comics universe to the big screen. Mm-hmm. And then obviously, the drama happened with post tweets and you know, that whole stuff. I mean, you can look up on your own time about that. And just that whole nonsense. That's the easiest way I describe that is just nonsense. And then finally things got worked out and he's back. And then this was going to be the end all be all final goodbye to what he's created Mm -hmm. and the cast, you know, for the most part as well. Yeah. So it hit theaters and Pat, I know you got some numbers ready to talk about it. I do. So domestically, it was the number one film at the box office this weekend, bringing in 118 million, 414,021 dollars, making it number one uh, ahead of the Super Mario Brothers movie. Evil Dead Rise. Are you there? God, it's me, Margaret. Love Again, John Wick Chapter 4, and then Dungeons and Dragons Honor Among Thieves in the top seven. Uh, and then looking at some overall numbers, domestically, it is currently sitting at uh, $127,339,062. Internationally, it is at $191,400,000 for a worldwide total gross of $318,739,062. So suffice to say... Did pretty well, huh? Uh, yeah, from the numbers I had read, it cost $250 million to make, and then the promotion was another $100 million. So in one weekend, it almost made its entire budget back, which is pretty good. Well, it's very good, and obviously fans were excited to see how James Gunn and the cast led by Chris Pratt, Zoe Saldana, David Batista, Karen Gillan, Vin Diesel, Bradley Cooper, and the rest of the fantastic characters that actors that have portrayed these characters throughout the you know the films mm-hmm. we're gonna say goodbye so that said we are going to give you our spoiler free statement concerning guardians of the galaxy volume three now if you're new to the odph first and foremost thank you for checking us out we always like to give that statement first and foremost because if you haven't seen this film for whatever reason and you don't want to have anything ruined for you, we're going to give you enough to give you our opinions <coughs> about it before we do a deep dive after a countdown where all bets are off. We go into full spoiler talk. We put it time stamped in the episode. So if you need to duck out, we tell you exactly where to and then you can pop back in after that to catch up on the rest of the episode. So that said, Pad, Marvel's cosmic superheroes are saying goodbye to the MCU for now. Give me your spoiler-free statement on Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. The movie was fine. You know, I I didn't come out of it feeling wowed and blown away and, you know, oh, my God. But I didn't hate it. You know, if I had to give it a a star rating or something out of five, you know, probably a three, three and a half out of five. Mm -hmm. You know, like I said, wasn't the best movie I ever saw. Wasn't the worst thing I ever saw. It was it was fine. You know, it was what it needed to be. It was a good movie in terms of like, you know, a James Gunn movie. It's what I, you know, it's what I would expect from him, you know, but in terms of a Marvel movie, it felt like it was just missing something. I I don't know what it was. 
you know, but it just, to me, felt like it was missing something. The soundtrack was awesome. You know, this mm-hmm. for me, obviously, the first one soundtrack is, you know, phenomenal and, and memorable. The second one, yeah, a bit of a step back for me. This one, though, made up for the last one. The soundtrack for this one was incredible, start to finish. Um, but everyone did a great job in the movie. I mean, uh, Chudwick, uh, Uji, uh, you know, who played uh, uh, what is it? High Evolutionary. The High Evolutionary. Holy shit, that guy was awesome. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not a spoiler at all. This dude steals scenes in this movie. Yes. You know, phenomenal performance, you know, and and it was okay. You know, for me, the what I took away from it is Marvel let James Gunn say goodbye. Mm-hmm. And he let the cast say goodbye as well. You have to remember, at this time, this movie property was such a gamble. Yeah. This was unknown territory if this was going to connect. Because we had known at the time, obviously, if you talk Avengers, you talk Iron Man, you talk Thor, you talk Captain America, you have established superheroes that fans have known in the comics for years and have supported for years. Yep. Guardians of the Galaxy has been a property that has been in the Marvel Comics universe that has been very hit or miss, to, to be completely honest. And when this property was brought about, it was going through a renaissance with Abnett and Landing's run at the time. It had had a successful run in the 90s with Jim Valentino. And prior to is kind of, you know, hit and miss, you know, plug and play, if you will, throughout the MCU. So when this was announced that they were going to try doing this, and especially with the characters of Star-Lord, Rocket Raccoon, Groot, Gamora, Drax, Mm -hmm. they weren't household names yeah so what's the incentive to go watch them and the thing about this franchise which has won people over is it's quirky enough that it catches pop culture's attention yeah but there's so much heart and emotion behind it yeah that that's why you stay right because this team should not be as successful as they are but they find ways to do it and it's something that in a weird sense, it can connect with everybody that reads it because it's it, you're rooting for the underdogs always. Right. It, it's it's like a group. The only thing that's kind of not relatable to this franchise to us average everyday folks is they're in space. Yeah. You know, so unless you're one of these multimillionaires, multibillionaires who can afford to go on like the what few commercial space exploration things there are, and even they're not going that far into space. You know, we can't experience what it's like to go from planet to planet, interact with alien species and whatever else. But where we can react is it's a group of people with a different set of skills and a different set of what, you know, what, uh, you know, pros and cons of what they can do, what they can't do. And that's what is relatable. Yeah. And that's the the driving force behind this, these, this franchise, which it still blows my mind that I live in a day and age where Guardians of the Galaxy and Ant-Man yeah. are pop culture franchises that have made a fair amount of money that have connected on this level. And and you're right. Been very successful at the box office, Yeah, which for being a longtime comic reader, it it does bring a smile to my face because I remember when reading these comics, people did not want to have anything to do with them. They weren't cool. They weren't hip. They weren't anything noteworthy. Well, it's like for Bruno Mannheim for me, when when this season of Superman and Lois started, Mm -hmm. I honestly forgot who Bruno Mannheim was. And I had, I was like, the name rings a bell. I got to look it up. 
And then once I, because I recognized the name from the animated series in the 90s. And then once I saw this, I'm like, oh, right, that guy. Yeah. If you'd have gone back in time and told me back in the 90s when Superman the Animated Series was was in its heyday, that, hey, in X number of years, you're going to be watching Superman on TV, and he's going to be the focal villain for at least half of the season, if not more. I'd have said you're nuts. Mm-hmm. The same can be said for Guardians of the Galaxy. Go back in time when the, when the franchise and the comics were just coming out and say, hey, in X number of years time, there's going to be three movies of these of these characters on screen, and it's going to make a boatload of money. Yeah, but the the key factor was when this got translated over. Gunn had the vision; the actors brought it to life. Mm-hmm. I can't see anybody else being Star Lord other than no. Chris Pratt. God no, that's no. his role. Same thing with Gamora and, and Zoe Saldana. David Batista, <laughs> holy shit, best pro wrestling actor of all time. Uh huh. And I don't think it's debatable. Like no. he, is, he is an actor that was a pro wrestler. Like that's literally how much he's evolved the dude's, in the art form. The dude's range is insane. I mean, you look at him in. Uh, the James Bond movie he was in, I believe it was Spectre. Mm-hmm. You know where he's he's the big brooding silent goon who doesn't say anything. He just shows up, kicks James's ass, and and leaves through various means. Mm-hmm. You know, you look at him in in the Dune movies and, yeah. and the character he played in that, and even look at him in the Knives Out uh, Glass Onion movie. Mm-hmm. You know, just, he the dude has got a range that's insane. Yes, and the other additions they've made too along the way. Uh, with Karen Gillian, uh, yeah. who stepped in the role of Nebula. Yeah. Palm Clementiev, yeah. who's played Mantis. Yep. And especially the voice acting of Bradley Cooper. Yeah. And Vin Diesel. Getting paid a shitload of money for, well, three words. Yes. I am Groot. Yeah. But they make it work, and it connects on such a level that this franchise you know, had to say goodbye in its own way. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to see the success they had for the two films, they recaptured the magic with this one. Yeah. It, it, there was nothing they wanted to connect with the MCU. Mm-hmm. And I know some other podcasts like 3FN was mentioned in this as well. There wasn't anything that was tying them to the current Kang Dynasty era. Right. I mean, the last we saw these characters was with Thor at the beginning of Thor 4. There's mm-hmm. there no mention of Thor. There's no mention of what happened with him or anything like that. Like. This is a movie that, like, if you if you get some, you can show to somebody who's not seen any of the other Marvel movies. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I think they might get away with enjoying it. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I mean, that's not a spoiler because the main point of this is this is the love letter to the fans, mm-hmm. and it plays off perfectly, especially to a villain of Awuji's mm-hmm. level. Like I would say, Awuji just was mesmerizing in this role. Dude was so good. And especially because the comic character, in my opinion, is not this good. Awuji made it his own. Yeah, he did. So I loved everything that was getting brought to the table about this. And I left the theater, much like you, Pad. I, like on my rankings, I, I gave it a seven and a half out of 10. Mm-hmm. You know, or three and a half out of five. Like however you wanted to break it down. It's good. It's not great. Mm-hmm. But, but it's one that it's not meant to do anything more than say goodbye. Yeah. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with that because how they left things, it just really captured the mas- the, the magic. Mm-hmm. And the masses are going to just be absolutely enthralled with this franchise and waiting to see what transpires next in whatever mm-hmm. version it's going to be in. Yeah. Uh, a thing I think we should do before we get into spoilers, though, is to any parents who have not seen the movie with their kids yet, because I know this is a point of, I don't want to say contention, but it's a point that's getting brought up online. Mm-hmm. This is a PG-13 movie that, honest to God, might borderline R in certain... At times, yes. At certain times. Um, I, If you haven't seen the movie with your child, I would consider 
thinking about taking your child to see this movie because there are certain this is the first time you know because you see the little blurb with like pg-13 some scenes may scare may scare whatever this is the first time that like i believe that that i would consider how your child handles scary situations Mm -hmm. in in potentially uncomfortable situations and uncomfortable and i'm trying to be deliberately vague in case for those who haven't seen it uncomfortable scenarios yeah perhaps Talk to somebody you know who has seen the movie and say, hey, I've heard this movie is kind of scary, but my kid likes all the Marvel movies. You know, what What should I do? You know, or or even if you're if you're really on the fence and you don't want to get your kids scared, because I know that's happened to some folks. Yeah. Where I, I don't know personally, but I've seen online. There's some folks. There's been some online chatter about uh, it. Some online chatter about parents who took their kids to see the movie because it's a Marvel movie and certain scenes and certain instances in the movie, the kids got real scared. I, I will admit when I went to go see it with my girlfriend, Liz, there were some scenes where she had to close her eyes because it got a little too much for her, you know, so just consider before you go, like, you know, your kid better than we do. So I'm not going to sit here and tell you don't go see the movie with your kid, but just give it some thought because I don't think you want to be up with your kid at 11 o'clock midnight with nightmares. Yeah, exactly. So that being said, we're going to go into spoiler talk now. So you've been fair warned in three, two, one. Talk to me. Like I said, the movie was fine. You know, it's, it's kind of a standalone thing. It doesn't really mark into anything with, with where the MCU currently stands or where it's going to go yet. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, but it it was fine. The soundtrack, like I said, the soundtrack was phenomenal from from start to finish. Love the soundtrack, you know, and it, it was a good movie overall. Just it, it it didn't blow me away. It was missing something. I don't know what it was, and I can't quite put my thumb on it. But just to me, it felt like it was missing something that would have made it go. That was awesome, you know, because I was sitting there and I'm and I'm trying to figure out what I was going to grade it. And I'm like, you know what? Initially, I thought four, but I'm like, no, nah, four is like. I really liked it. There was a lot of stuff I liked about it. And there was stuff I liked about this one. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. But just there was some stuff I you know, I just didn't like about it and just some stuff that didn't connect with me. And I'm like, all right, it's not it's not a four. You know, it's not a two. Two's and I really hated this movie. You know, three's kind of like, eh, it was okay. So this was slightly b- above okay for me. I thought it was missing something because what they were trying to do was really connect on the story with Rocket. Yes. And the fact that we went to Counter-Earth, I thought they spent too much time there uh-huh. where they could have cut a couple things out uh-huh. and then maybe added something later because by the time you really get some action in this film, mm-hmm. it's it pays off big, but, right. but there's a lot of gap time right in this right because for where you start it's big action and then it stretches out right and and the thing of it is too is they they wanted to give all of the main actors and actresses a lot of screen a fair well, I don't want to say a lot a fair amount of screen time yeah each because this this is essentially like a, a sports team winning a championship this is the last time you're going to see that group of people in this incarnation mm-hmm. you know but which is fine and all, but just I felt like they spent a way too much time on like character development and so like fleshing out the characters a little bit because, you know, let's let's face facts. Chris Pratt for now is done with this character. He's now he said he will come back and reprise the character, but it's got to be the right set of circumstances. So story director, yada, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. Dave Batista is done with Drax. Yeah, he's been on the record about that for quite a while. I don't see that changing anytime soon. 
you know, he's t- not coming back without James Gunn. Not coming back without James Gunn. Time will tell. But for the meantime, in between time, he's done. Mm-hmm. I've also heard Zoe Zaldana's done with this man, and you kind of get that vibe off of the off the movie too. That like, okay, we're not seeing her again, if ever. You know, so why are we? And especially, we know this is the end of the trilogy. We know James Gunn isn't coming back. Why are we doing more character development, fleshing out these characters, if some of them aren't coming back? Because there, I the only reason I thought about this is I think they're keeping the door open. Sure, but at the same time, where they spent the time developing the characters, they didn't need to. I think one drawback from this film is Adam Warlock. Yeah, Will Poltier, who played who, who played he, him well. Like he was, was good. Saying, he was he good. Was, he was he was great in yeah. the role. But here's the question I have for you: How much have you read Adam Warlock? None. Okay. All, all I know is he featured prominently in the comic version of Infinity War slash Endgame. Yeah. He is a crucial player there, but if you don't understand his background, and especially the only thing people knew about him was the bonus scene at the end of Guardians 2 in right. the cocoon. Right. But if you don't know the deal with the cocoon and like how he, he hatches, like he's supposed to be, you know, obviously like a god level yeah. being. Yeah. You didn't understand about his mannerisms when we first see him because where we open up this film, they're in their floating space station in nowhere. The Guardians have now set up shop. Rock is listening to a cassette tape, which or a iPad, mm-hmm. and obviously Radiohead's creep is playing through. So we're seeing like something's going on with Rocket that he's having like these kind of second thoughts about what's going on and just obviously coming off the heels of Endgame because that's pretty much where we are with the team. They're just reminiscing about like what has been going on, Star Lord has been just in a very bad place uh, with the fate of Gamora. That mm-hmm. The one that he was in love with is gone. And then the version that is now in the MCU is not the one that has anything to do with him. Time travel. Yeah, I mean, it, we can officially define that as reasons. But when you start seeing them go through, Adam Warlock is flying in to go get Rocket but they don't even explain why. But the only thing you can tell right away, and I liked how they did this, is mm-hmm. Adam Warlock is a powerful being in oh. the MCU. Oh, he don't fuck around and people find out. Right. And you can see by the action, he was not messing around, which if you've read the Infinity Gauntlet, and I want to say if, if you're a new reader to the comics version of Adam Warlock, mm-hmm. that might not be a bad place to start because that's sure. more his current incarnation. Sure. I mean, he has some you know history in the 70s and 80s, too, but that moment is when he was officially made in a lot of fans' eyes is the Infinity Gauntlet storyline and where he's gone since. So that being said, this gave the pop culture audience a quick idea, but they did not go into a full detail. But you had this great fight sequence going on with the rest of the Guardians, and Rocket is severely wounded mm-hmm. because of his actions because... Warlock is there to go get him. Yep. But he stopped because Nebula, who in my opinion was the MVP of this film. Yeah, she was. Karen Gillan did phenomenal work. Incredible job. Stops him by stabbing him. Yep. So he winds up flying away. Because she's got, at this point, because, and I totally, honestly should have rewatched the Christmas special because I forgot some of the stuff, that important stuff that happened with that. Um, She doesn't have Bucky's arm. On this, it's some different arm yes. that, that can shapeshift and turn into all these different weapons and tools. Yeah. It reminded me of either Shi'ar weaponry. Uh, maybe. And, and I know they didn't want to go there, 
So I think they'll elaborate on it down the road, Maybe. per se. Maybe. Because I think if if there's any safe bet from this film, Nebula is coming back sooner than later. I think the only, and since we're in spoilers, we can say this. I think the only ones who are coming back for any potential future Guardians films, if they, because I don't think they'll call it Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Four. I think they'll call it Guardians of the Galaxy and then sort of some sort of like subtitle, mm-hmm. you know, like Thor: Love and Thunder, Ant Man and Lost, Quantumania, like. Yeah, I mean, the Lost for the Stars, Quantumania is the subtitle. I think it'll be something like that. The only ones I think we'll see coming back are the ones we saw at the end in the first quote-unquote bonus scene. Mm, I could see that, too, but I think the Gillen's Nebula is going to be yeah. part of that, too. Yeah. By the time it's all said and done, but we'll get to that when we get to that. But the immediate problem that they have right now is Rocket has been wounded. Yep. And they need to get him some medical help. Now, they the one thing that I thought was kind of interesting is they have these futuristic med packs. Yeah. That basically, no matter how you're hurt, you can just wrap this around you and you're magically healed. <laughs> That's kind of how it works in the video games. Yeah, it, it literally. I had no issues with that. Well, like I said, but it was just kind of we- it was ironic and funny and weird to see it yeah. like in in a comic because you're like, yeah, you just see it in video games. Like the right, because there there are some video games where like, oh, you go to use a med pack and you see them like wrapping their arm with a bandage or doing like something else or like sometimes they they take a syringe of medical health or whatever and, and they regain it that way but like most video games you see a med pack on the ground you walk over it and your health just magically refills yeah so video games yeah but they brought that logic here which i had no problem with i just thought yeah. like it was just kind of ironic because yeah. it's like well it's superheroes and this should not work as easy as it does but with rocket situation unfortunately they can't because of how he is created uh-huh he has a kill switch implanted in him yes he does kind of in the same vein of the suicide squad yeah that if, good you, comparison. You, that if you cross Amanda Waller, she can hit a button and, you know. Goodbye. You, yeah, you're, you're gone. Rocket has something along those same lines, and they really spend the time about going into his backstory, which I thought was an interesting idea for the film. Yeah. Because Rocket has always been a side character. If you know the comics history, you know he's one of the the more interesting ones of the 70s in right. that time period coming out. And the thing, too, with the MCU is they've always alluded to it, but he's never fully said what happened. And they even bring it up in the movie is, is it gets brought well, how did he end up like this? Why is this there? And and they look at Chris, well, Chris or Star-Lord, who's, who's known him the longest, you know, in the room. And he goes, listen, he's never said. I even I don't know what his deal is. Yeah, that's the one thing about him is like you never understand about, you know, his background. It's always just kind of been eluded. But like I said, he's been around since the 70s. I want to say like 77, 76 range. He's been around the MCU and it's always just been kind of the cosmic characters are always kind of there, but they're never really fleshed out like this. So we get a full background about him because the Guardians are now trying to do whatever they can to save him. And they wind up tracking his background down to this group known as Orgo Corp. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of interesting how they do this because they have to go get help to go infiltrate Orgo Corp. Right, because they need the pass key to deactivate the kill switch. And because the kill switch is essentially activated and it's got a timer going, coupled with the fact that when they slapped this med pack on him, it fried the shit out of his chest. Yeah. Like you could see this nasty wound he had on his chest. He has not got long to live, and he is on basically on a ventilator with all of the accompanying instruments hooked up to him, keeping him alive. Yeah, so the Guardians are making this play to save him, and obviously Star-Lord, played by Chris Pratt, is trying to do whatever he can because he's like, I'm going to lose my best friend. I can't do this again. And he is willing to do whatever it takes to mm-hmm. do this. And this even relies on Nebula, who steps up and makes a deal to get in touch with Gamora. 
Well, she makes the deal. So they know they got to sneak into this orgo core and they know it's going to be hard because there's intel out on it and how hard. Because I think she brings up before they get there that, you know, oh, there's these three shields around the place. And mm-hmm. she goes, oh, don't worry. I've got a contact in the area who can help us get in. Yeah. And, and she doesn't reveal who it is until they get there. And that's when Gamora shows up and Peter goes, uh, what are you doing? Yeah. Because Gamora is now with the Ravagers. Yep. Who we've seen in Volume Two, they're Yondo's original group. Who uh, Yondo played by Michael Rucker. Uh, we've seen yeah. them throughout these films, and the one cool thing that a lot of fans don't know is the lineup of the Ravagers. For the most part, is the original Guardians of the Galaxy. There's also a DC connection in there because one of those characters is played by Michael Rosenbaum, who mm-hmm. was Lex Luthor in Smallville. Yes. So there is that kind of little tie-in too, but like I say, it just I love the Easter eggs that are thrown into the yeah. original yeah. Guardians lineup because it's a nice homage. Yeah, I don't because I don't think a lot of fans know about it. The the, no. run, the run in the '90s is no. very very underrated, and it's one that if you got Marvel Unlimited or you want to go to your comic shops to go get you know the trade paperbacks, I definitely recommend doing it. That's how I got into the Guardians, and I really will praise that run a lot too. So Gamora is now working with them about getting the Orgo Corp, and. We do know that one person is running Orgocarp, mm-hmm. and that is the High Evolutionary, played uh-huh. by Chawuji Awuji. Mm-hmm. And we do get the background about Rocket and how the High Evolutionary is the one who created Rocket. Right, we get it in bits and pieces throughout the movie. Yeah, yeah. because Rocket, while he's unconscious, is having a, like, this is your life moment. Yeah. And it's it. they do this very well, too, because... You literally see how Rocket was created. And the one thing about the High Evolutionary, which I thought they nailed, mm-hmm. too, is in the comics, he is obsessed with making perfection. Sure. And nothing is ever good enough with him. Mm-hmm. And you see how he is willing to cross lines to get his twisted version of perfect made. Right. And you see how, how he messed around and augmented Rocket. Yeah. And Rocket was the anomaly because Rocket should not have been as evolved as he was. Right, and we know that the High Evolutionary has created several... We find this out later in the movie, but we we know that the High Evolutionary has created several different races, Mm -hmm. different groups of people throughout the universe, and several of them view him as a god or a deity. And we know that the Sovereign was one of the folks... He created, and I mean, you look at the Sovereign for as kind of inept and as bumbling as they were in the last movie, still kind of impressive, all things considered. But what does he say in the movie to to the to the Sovereign? You were a vanity project. You're nothing. Yeah, and that's how he is. Like, he's very cold. He's not endearing, but he's a villain you love to hate. If you come home from school and you got a bad grade on your math test, don't expect a hug from him. No, absolutely not, because he is just somebody that's never satisfied with his work. It's his one tragic flaw, if you will, is he is just somebody that keeps trying to push the envelope, and yet he'll have success, but it's never good enough. And we see throughout the film, and especially after the Guardians leave Orgocorp, we really see this come into play about just really how absolutely insane he is. Yeah. Because not only do we see how he is raising Rocket to be the, you know, whatever version he has of him. He's just trying to reach that perfection. Yeah. You know, but we find out that when Rocket has evolved and has this, like, 
vastly underrated intelligence. Oh, my God, yeah. The high evolutionary can't handle that fact that Rocket figured out a problem he couldn't. Well, yeah, because at the point he figures out this problem, he's a toddler that can, like, barely speak. Yeah. You know, and and he shows him this thing, and he's like, yeah, we're trying to figure this out, but we can't quite figure out what's wrong. And Rocket just sits there and goes, oh, this is the issue. Yeah. And then they're like, what? Like, they're so f- just dumbfounded. And, and it's one of those things like, oh, it's so simple. How did we not see this? And so they go to figure this out. And they're like, oh, holy shit, how did you figure this out? And he's like, oh, it was easy. I just, you know, I just did X, Y, and Z. Yeah. And then later in the movie, we find, you know, the high evolutionary going through one of his treatments, one of his maintenances, whatever the hell it was. I forget what they exactly said. But he had a revelation. And he comes down to the holding cell where Rocket is and goes, how the fuck did you know that? Yeah. Like, what the fuck? I, like, we, the smartest beings, the self-thought smartest beings in the galaxy, couldn't figure this out. And you took one look and figured it out. Like, what the fuck? Yeah. So he wants to figure out what he did so he can do it on something else. Because he keeps telling Rocket that he's going to take him to his new Earth. And, uh-huh. You know, him and his friends that we see these other subjects that he is the, the high evolutionary has experimented on right. are going to be part of this new utopia. Yeah, they, they, they don't call it new counter-Earth. They just call it, to, he's going to take us to utopia. Yeah. So we do get introduced to that side of Rocket that you see that he had friends that he considered family there. Uh, Lila, who is this augmented otter. With, like, weird robot arms. Yep. Yeah. Teef, who is this experimented walrus. Yeah. And Floor, who is this... Rabbit with spider legs. Robotic spider legs. Yeah. Uh, I cannot believe I'm saying this. For as much as I expected the Sam Raimi, you know, Doctor Strange movie to be creepy and fucking out there, this is more creepy and out there than the Doctor Strange movie. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. Which I did not expect from James Gunn. See... I had an idea it was going to go this route because I've read the High Evolutionary in comics. Sure. And uh, sure. Here, here's even kind of a weird throwback. Remember in WandaVision when she we were talking Wundagore? Yes. And remember there was that bull that was like a being that yes. was on the picture? Yes. Bova? Yes. High Evolutionary created Sure. Bova. I remember. Yeah. So like, yeah. but they never alluded, like they right. never came out and said it. But right. like I say, it was when they put that Easter egg in there that I go, okay, we're going to see the High Evolutionary Right. Do something here. And like literally he's he's Dr. Frankenstein meets Mr. Sinister. This dude was a straight up mad scientist and he played it brilliantly. Yeah, exactly. And like I said, Wuji, like his, just the way he did the role too, menacing, terrifying and eccentric at the same time. Like uh-huh. he's just hell bent on his goals and didn't care who he got, who got in his way. He'd get him out of it. Legitimately one of the best villains that we've seen in the MCU. But we'll get back to him in a little bit because right now they fast forward to the Guardians infiltrating uh, Orgo Corp. Mm-hmm. And that's as weird as it sounds, as weird as it looks. Um, it, it's the Among Us scene that we see in the trailers. Is it Among Us? Because it was occurring to me watching the movie. Were they supposed to be the ghosts from Pac-Man? That was too. Like, there's a lot of rumors of influence about what they were supposed I, to I be. I can see the Among Us thing. And, I, and don't get me wrong. I agree. It could be Among Us. You know, the the... Outfits you play in that game, you know, if you haven't seen it, YouTube, some game footage. But I only bring up the Pac-Man thing because we saw a sticker, a patch or something at some point in this movie Mm -hmm. with Pac-Man. And it was kind of faded. And I was like, oh, maybe that wasn't supposed to be a a call out or an Easter egg for Among Us. Maybe it was supposed to be an Easter egg for 
Pac-Man. It could be. I think James Gunn has kept this very vague yeah. for that reason. Yeah. Like he, he, I know he's tried like downplaying the influence on it, but it's definitely influenced by a couple things. Like I also heard it was like from a a, a long t- forgotten cartoon as well. Uh, like okay. I've heard a couple different theories. So hashtag ODPH Pod. Let me know your best theory about. All this. I know is it was sus. Yeah. As you see, though, they are trying to go through, and they almost pull it off, too. I mean, uh-huh. there, there was the typical Guardians hijinks where Mantis winds up shooting the spacesuits out the the garbage chute. Here, hide them in this storage locker. The security shows up, and they're questioning, and brilliant job on Star-Lord's part to kind of distract things and pull them away from the fact that, like, they probably shouldn't be here right now. Yeah. And all the meanwhile, Mantis is standing off to the side facing the, the window in the room and sees the... Suits flying out, and as soon as they leave, she just goes, "Oh my god, our spacesuits are outside." Yep. So, I mean, it's it's typical Guardians humor. So, like yeah. I say, what this was just you know another part of the winning formula they've done for two films now, but we do see them progress in, and they do wind up getting rockets information that they need. Well, so they think. So they think because obviously this place, <laughs> which the high evolutionary runs, uh huh. Has a lot of information on a lot of people. Yeah, they don't figure it out until this point, but they figure out because they split off into teams to get the information. They send Mantis and Drax off in one direction. Mm -hmm. And then it's uh, Star-Lord, Gamora, and Nebula going off in the other direction. So where Drax and Mantis go off, they kind of go into like the pu- the public area of, of the base where all the people are. And there's advertisements playing. And one of the advertisements they hear is about how the high evolutionary is in charge of everything. Mm-hmm. So they get back to the ship and they've got, they've got um, after some antics ensue, they've got the information and they're looking through it and they're like, well, this is missing. I think they said it was like a million characters mm-hmm. or a million, million salt lines or something like that. And that's when they realize, well, wait, of course it's missing stuff. The high evolutionary runs this place. And of course he knew we'd be coming. Yeah. So it's a trap amongst all traps. It's a trap. Yeah, and the Guardians fight their way out of it like they usually do, uh, getting a little help from uh, Groot flying the spaceship into yeah. into the actual Oscorp yeah. or Argo Corp. Argo Corp. Yep. yep. Whose security team is led by the one and only Nathan Fillion. I for the law. I was sitting there like this. They did enough with him that I didn't immediately recognize. I'm like, is this who I think? Oh shit! It is Nathan Fillion. Yeah. Except their suits reminded me of the thing too much. Yeah, a, a little, little bit. bit, a little bit. Which I, I just, I was figured. having, th- I was having thing vibes. I was also having Gears of War vibes. Yeah, like I say, it was a good mix up of both. Yeah. But like I say, yeah. I, I just figured that they were just trying to tease the fans a little bit that maybe, just maybe, Benjamin J. Grimm uh, might have had a little bit of influence on this uh, high evolutionary idea. Nevertheless, the Guardians escape with the information, and when they upload it, they find, well, something is missing. Yep, the million characters. Yes, but they do track it down that one of the high evolutionaries. Uh, Henchmen. Henchmen. Scientists. Sidekicks. Yeah, scientists. Has this implanted in his head Mm -hmm. because he has a microchip in there. And they wind up tracking him to an Earth that, well, this goes to show about how evolved the high evolutionary is. Was it too easy for them to find him? Or is it just me? It was a little too easy. Because, like, they get out of the base, and they go and they download the information, and they're looking through it. And, and Nebula is looking through everything because she's got the cybernetic implants, and, mm-hmm. and she's looking at everything. And she goes, oh, you know, hey, this isn't good, but we're missing a million characters. So the past key's not here. Oh, then they figure out the high evolutionary took it. They figure out the scientist took it. And then just beep, boop, bop. Oh, hey, look, I found the high evolutionary. 
Yeah. Like just a couple presses of a button and they locate them on a map and hey, set, set course for that place. The only thing I thought was the high evolutionary was trying to get him to come there. Uh, that could be. That was just a setup because yeah, yeah. his ultimate goal is he wanted Rocket back. Deliberately turned on his location finder at maximum. Yeah. So they wind up finding where uh, the high evolutionary is. Well, they they end up they set their planet for they set their course of that planet not knowing what they're gonna find. Right. But we find out, like I say, this is one of the greatest creations high evolutionary has done. He created a counter Earth uh, from circa like 1995. Right. So you do see the Guardians land, and this they are now in their suits too. I, I want to give credit about this too. The Abnett and Landing run yes. in the comics, so they're in the traditional. I always call them the. Uh, the police suits yep. because yep. when they were trying to be the, the law of the space uh, galaxy, this is what they were wearing. So they all have the, the uniform look to them, which I thought was awesome to see come in the comics. It was nice. Yeah, no, it definitely was. So you see them come and they're in, uh, interacting with a lot of the inhabitants of counter earth. And it's just as much as you think it is. Uh, you have these just, you know, mix ups, genetically mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. of different animals and different humans and it's like it's it's something the high evolutionary does He's, i'm interested to see in the bonus features when this eventually gets out, uploaded to disney plus how they film this sequence because mm-hmm. this is this looks like they just straight up just landed like they just borrowed the set from wandavision and just kind of made some additions to move it up to the present time of where they were at and just made some fun. Like this was so, like, this is the one part of the movie that I'm like, you know what? Out of any part of this movie, I want to find out how they did this. This is the scene. I want to figure out how they did this. I agree with you. I mean, I, th- I think that they definitely borrowed a lot from it because, and you can even tie it back to the ties that the high evolutionary has with Wanda Maximoff. Right. So it would make a lot of sense if they wanted to do that. Um, and but yeah, I think it's just another little uh, tip of the hat, so to speak, mm-hmm. if they do that. But I will say as far as this part of the film goes, this really, I thought, drug out a lot, uh-huh. and I thought that they mm-hmm. could have summed this up a lot quicker because yeah. when they first get there, the Guardians are trying to ask questions about where the High Evolutionary is. There's or a language barrier. There's a language barrier, there, and they, they are basically trying to track down Thiel, who is supposed to be the one that has all the information about Rocket. Mm-hmm. So they go there. They're talking with a family. Somehow they're interacting and it's a little more of the same with the Guardians here. So there isn't a lot to talk about. No. Except you do see that Groot, Star-Lord, and mm-hmm. Nebula go right to the star sh- the spaceship right, of the, the High Evolution. The pyramid. Well, it's a py- we don't know it's a starship at the time. When they go to there, they go to this place. It's just a pyramid off in the distance. Right. So that's a big surprise that they wind up doing. And then Drax can't sit still. Well, and- he, he, he tells Drax to stay on the ship. And Drax isn't going like, oh, yeah, sure, I'll stay with the ship. He's like, no, I want to come with you. No, I want to do this. I want to do that. And he's like, no, stay with the ship. Mantis, watch Drax. Yeah. So Drax winds up convincing Mantis to go to the ship. Well, air quotes convincing. Yeah. He tricks her. Yeah. Like I say, the chemistry that they have is just good friends, and they're just messing with each other the entire time between Drax and Mantis. So I did like that. Meanwhile, on the spaceship itself, Gamora is there watching Rocket Mm -hmm. and is starting to make a connection a little bit about the past friendship that Gamora of their timeline had Mm -hmm. with them. So you do see that slow 
build to why she's going to care about this team. Because originally she doesn't want to be there. She wants to get back to the Ravagers. And she even goes so far as to message the Ravagers after they escape Orgo Corp. She's like, hey, all right, I did what I did. Drop me off. And they're like, nope, sorry, ain't got time. She ends up going into the belly of the ship and contacting who she thinks is another Ravager. Turns out the Sovereign are the mm-hmm. ones answering the call. And she go, <laughs> and they're like, oh, hey, f- hey, yeah, we're looking for you. Isn't that convenient? You know, yeah, where are you? Turn on your... They're on your rescue beacon. We'll, we'll, come, we'll come find you. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Yep. You know, so now the Sovereign are after her. And the thing I like they did with uh, Gamora's time with uh, the Guardians is how anytime Groot would say something, she wouldn't understand what he said. And she mm. just goes, I know you're Groot. Stop saying your name. Yeah. That was that was good. I enjoyed that. Oh, it was a very fun moment. Like, I definitely have to agree with that. So you do see that. Star-Lord and Groot get onto the ship, mm-hmm. or to the pyramid, I should say, at this point, because, like you said, we don't know that it's a ship. Well, and, and the entire time, Nebula's like, this is a terrible idea, this is a trap, He and, and Star-Lord keeps saying and reiterating, it's not a trap, when you know it's coming, it's a face-off. Yeah. I mean, playing up into the swashbuckling persona that is the legendary Star-Lord. Mm-hmm. So they do have the face-off with the High Evolutionary, and we do get to see a little bit about how absolutely insane the High Evolutionary is. Yeah. Because he does say basically, like, this planet was an experiment anyway. I don't care. You give me what I want. Well, because he tries he tries claiming it because on the way to the starship, which I thought was hilarious, Peter trying to drive when he left Earth at eight years old and never learned how to drive. That was fucking hysterical. Mm-hmm. Anyone who remembers first learning how to drive can... Uh, feel familiar with what happened with Peter there but like they're on their way there and they just see how like as much as this is supposed to be a utopia or the better version of Earth it's just as bad yeah because there's crime going on there's drugs getting dealt in in back alleys and when Groot and Peter end up meeting with the high evolutionary because no weapons Mm -hmm. so Gamora not Gamora uh, Nebula gets left at the front gate because well her arm yeah you know the high evolutionary goes, oh, well, this is a utopia. This is the perfect model of society. And and Starler goes, well, oh, yeah? Well, then why is there an octopus head dealing meth in a back alley to another guy? Mm-hmm. And, and the high evolutionary goes, huh. Oh, yeah, you're right. This is just an experiment. I'm going to destroy everything. Yeah. So you do see that Counter-Earth is getting destroyed. Yeah. Which is absolutely wild yeah. going on. You do see that Adam Warlock's mother, Aisha, mm-hmm. gets killed in the process. Yeah. And you do see that Adam Warlock. As he tries to save her. Yeah, as he's trying to save her, he just is not there in time. You do see that Gamora is taking the ship now, trying mm-hmm. to make the rescue, even though she's never flown the ship. Yeah. And she does get there in time to save a flying. Now, how crazy was this scene? That was nuts. When the pyramid that we all think the High Evolutionary is in turns into a spaceship and he leaves, yeah. you do see this amazing fight sequence going on where Star-Lord and Groot team up and there's a big shootout going on yep. and they wind up shooting the window out and taking Teal with them. I think they said it was like a 1,000 feet up or something crazy, it was something, something like that. It was something crazy because as the High Evolutionary told them, you know, Basically, he starts snapping and says, yeah. you know, you you need to listen to me. 
God isn't here right now. I took over. He says something. I filled know, the God's not real. I filled the void or something. Yeah, like, that. like he's he starts absolutely snapping. At that point, the mood shifts. Uh huh. And you see that obviously everybody's turning against him, and and he's taking everybody out, and he's just like, well, I'm just going to start over again. I don't need you. I'm going to get what I want, and that's Rocket. So they do do this amazing flyout of the ship. Yep. And you see that Teal crashes into the ground. Star-Lord uses him like almost as a shield. And you see Groot form Groot wings. Uh, yeah, it's like a glider looking yeah. thing. Yeah, amazing sequence going on here. But you do see that they wind up getting rescued at that point by Gamora. Mm-hmm. And just unfortunately, though, at that time... yeah. Well, Drax and Mantis got on the ship with Nebula. Well, so yeah, Drax and Mantis show up. Also, the ship starts to take off. Gamora, uh, Nebula is still at the gate. She starts freaking out, calls Drax and Mantis, thinking they're still at the ship. And she goes, "Hey, I need you to pay." And I'm paraphrasing. Hey, I need you to pick up the ship and come get us. The, you know, this thing's taken off. And they're like, "Well, we can't exactly do that. Why not? Well, because we're right next to you." So mm-hmm. she takes off running for the ship. And, and so do Drax and Mantis follow her. So it's and, and you actually see it in the movie where they actually cross paths mm-hmm. because they get to like this doorway on the outside of the ship and they're trying to force their way in as the ship is going into the, the high atmosphere where there's very little air. And you just see, you know, it's a quick blink and you miss it, but you do see uh, Groot. Peter and the scientist fall past him and, yeah. you, and you hear him yell, but they don't react to it because it's so high up. And so they keep going up, up, up to where even Mantis is like, uh, it's getting very hard to breathe. Nebula can't crack the code and she just, and Drax just goes, fuck this and breaks the door open. Yeah. So they wind up getting inside the ship, surviving. And you do see that more or less Nebula is just venting on Drax, blaming him for everything. Venting ain't the word for it. She's unloading on him. Yeah. Just saying basically that he's stupid. Yeah. I mean, to, to use, you know, you're an idiot, you're bumbling, nobody likes you. Why do we keep you around? Just tearing into Oh, my top God. I'm slightly uncomfortable to watch. It was. But, but you have to remember Nebula's character yeah. is very robotic and is not endearing. You know, even in the comics, being a daughter of Thanos, yeah. she has grown up very, very tough and very, very cold. Oh, uh, yeah. Thanos took out her any endearing qualities out of her. Yeah, including her eyes at one point and replaced yeah. them with cybernetics. I mean, just, yeah. Thanos is not a good guy for a reason, folks. Neither, but like we say, Nebula is having this redeeming arc, but at this point, she just unloads on Drax, blaming him for everything. And then when they start making their way through the ship, well, they find out that the cargo on the ship is definitely something they weren't expecting. No. Pat, what do they find? Bunch of kids. Yeah bunch of mutated uh, children at this point mm-hmm. that we know that we're assuming that these are people that the high evolutionary has either experimented on or is planning on. Experimenting well, I, I think on. it's, I think it's in the same way with rocket where rocket wasn't the final product. He, he was just a step along the way because there are those two kids that they showed a couple of times throughout the movie that like, Oh, this is the, this is the next step. This is the next step towards perfection. I forget what exactly he said they could do, but he said they could solve something in a fraction of an amount of time that like, they weren't a main feature of the story, mm-hmm. but just, they were kind of like a plot point. Like, Hey, I've got as much shit as I've got going on. I got this going for me, which is real good. Yeah. So we do see that Mantis, Drax, and Nebula find the children. Mm-hmm. High Evolutionary takes some captor, capture, though. Yeah, he does find out they're there. Yep, and then throws them into a pit. Yeah. Much like in Star Wars. Yeah. And there is an obelisks, mm-hmm. which are these 
just giant monsters. Was well, this the thing they thought they fought at the first beginning of the last movie? I thought it was. It looked like it. Well, first I thought it was the the alien looking thing from Force Awakens that Han had in his uh, cargo ship. Not mm-hmm. not the Falcon, but the one he had in between owning the Falcon. Right. First I thought it was I thought it was that thing from the Force Awakens, but I'm like, no, wait, this looks like the thing from the the beginning of the last movie. Mm-hmm. Just like four of them. Yeah. So. We get this amazing fight sequence going on until Mantis winds up reasoning with him. Well, she doesn't even reason, reason with him. She understands and realizes, oh, they don't eat people. They don't eat, you know, humanoids. Mm-hmm. They eat batteries. Yeah. And they're just as scared of us as we are of them. Yeah. So the instant she walks towards them and shows, hey, we're not here to fight you or kill you or harm you, they calm down, mm-hmm. which was like, the which again, it, hashtag ODPH pod. If these are the things they fought at the beginning of Guardians of the Galaxy 2, wild scenario and wild uh, little twist with them. Yeah, but this is something I think James Gunn wanted to bring that creature back because it was a very imposing figure, yeah, let well, alone seeing three of them in a, in a yeah. pit. But meanwhile, on the Guardian ship, we do see that they do have the code from Thiel who they removed after they they more or less killed him. Yeah. Uh, let's be honest about it. So Star-Lord is, implements this code, and it's not working right away. Mm-hmm. So they're trying to save the kill switch uh, from going off. It's not working, but we do get this flashback sequence to Rocket and his friends. Mm-hmm. And when basically Rocket finds out that the high evolutionary has lied to him this entire time. That they're not going to Utopia. They're, they're basically, I'm going to use you for what I need you for, and then I'm going to kill you. Yeah. So he catches wind of this. He has a key to the cage. He winds up trying to free them. Because throughout all of these little backflash sequences, he's been picking up little pieces of what appear to be scraps off the ground. You see it a couple times. I know mm-hmm. the, the first time I caught it was the first time when he figured out what was going on with the transformation pods. Yeah. That, like, he goes to leave the room, and, and nothing breaks and nothing explodes. Mm-hmm. But he goes walking away, and you see him real quick bend down, pick something up, and just kind of tuck it away in his pocket. Yeah. And he's been building this key to escape. He does wind up freeing them. Well, he frees himself, well, and, he then frees, he, and he opens the door. He opens the doors for his friends because they've all talked about flying away, and, and just, you know, that's their dream to do. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, you hear a gun go off. Yeah. And Lila is shot. Mm-hmm. And then you see the high evolutionary is just standing there and basically screaming, like, what did you think you were going to get away? I, I knew you were going to do this. Yeah, I knew you were going to. He winds up killing Teve and... Mm-hmm. Uh, floor, floor, and this is a scene that we talk about. If you got younger children, yeah, going to the theaters, yeah, this is kind of a little intense for them. Yeah, well, especially when you see the characters on the, you see the other friends on screen. It's yeah. it's it's off putting. Yeah, not gonna lie. You had the you had the one, not the walrus, but I think it was Floor who had the the teeth. Yep, creepy as fuck. Sorry, it is what it is. They were all creepy in their own way, but then, you know, the sequences, especially with the transformation sequences, you know, mm-hmm. the couple times they did that, that's creepy as all hell. And then just this whole sequence with killing the animals. Yeah. So you see at this point, Rocket is angry, obviously. Uh-huh. Yeah. And he actually winds up taking out the high evolutionary. He's clawing the shit out of his face. Yeah. Which, this was even, like, the point of uncomfortable, too. So, kudos to James Gunn and the cinematographer and the way they shot this. I noticed in the present day sequences of this movie that his face looked real fucked up. Mm-hmm. Did not notice and did not pay because why the fuck would I pay attention to the side of his face? Yeah, and the top of his face that his face was not fucked it was up, stretched. Yeah, so so in the flashback sequences, I didn't realize and didn't notice that his face wasn't fucked up. Yeah, 
completely missed it because again why would i look at the side and tops of his face you know i noticed it I was like oh hey that's kind of creepy and then this scene happens and i'm like oh that's why his face is fucked up so kudos to them on that because i did not pick up on that and did not know we'd see how that got to that point so that, that was cool to say no it was an amazing special effect that they did with, yeah. that, with the yeah. makeup because like i say at this point he's clawing their face or the high evolutionary's face because Lila's dead. Uh-huh. And then when his, the high evolutionary's henchmen come down, they're the ones that wind up shooting teeth and floor. Yeah. Which Rocket takes everybody out mm-hmm. and flies away. And literally, he's the only one that lives yeah. that dream about flying away. Yeah. And then we go to the afterlife sequence here because right. he winds up running into Lila. Mm-hmm. Well, because, yeah, because the code's not working. It's taking too long to upload. Yeah. And he's basically sitting there reuniting with them, and you know they're basically saying like, "Oh, he's like, oh, I'm so sorry." He's apologizing. You know, I feel so bad. And she's like, "You know, it wasn't your fault." And you know, hey, it happens. It was like you you tried to help us, and that's what we always remember. And you know, he's like, "What have you guys been doing?" He's like, "Well, we get to fly. We get to fly, and then you can fly with us." Yeah, you get to fly with us, and he starts moving forward, and Lila just and like this is the scene that got me. So yeah, he starts moving forward, and at this point, it cuts back to the normal plane, the present day plane, whatever mm-hmm. you want to call it. And the heart rate monitor on racket rocket goes flat. Yeah. And at that point, everyone, but Peter is willing to say, okay, shit, he's dead. Yeah. But Peter doesn't give up and he starts giving him CPR. Yeah. He's doing everything in his power to save him. And this is even at the point too, like rockets ready to go. He's, he's, uh, he's like accepted. He's, he's dead. Mm-hmm. And Lila just stops him in mid walk and goes, but it's not your time. Yeah, because she goes, she goes, he goes, oh, can I join you? And she goes, yeah. And that's when it cuts to the emotional, oh, he's dead, he's dead, CPR, CPR, CPR. And then it cuts back to this, and then you, and it's like an instantaneous cut, and you just see him walking, and she puts her arm out, but it's not yet. This scene just broke me. I was like, I did, like I say, I got choked up. I did not cry, but I was like, damn. Yeah. Like, this just perfect. Brilliant writing. Yeah, I was like, man. Just that moment, I was like, okay, here we go. So you'd see, though, Rocket winds up kind of flash, flash forwarding back into his body. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, he wakes up and he's saved. Yeah. So they can d- disable the code and they save his life. So now Rocket's basically saying, like, time to end this shit once and for all. Mm-hmm. So they wind up formulating a plan with the team on Nowhere mm-hmm. to go and we're going to take it right to the high evolutionary ship. Mm-hmm. And well, because at this point, well, because at this point, Rocket's saved. And then he wakes up and he looks behind Quill and he goes, oh, hey, why is Nebula trying to contact you? Because Nebula had this entire time there in the basement of the uh, high evolutionary ship, doesn't know where Peter is, Mm -hmm. doesn't know where Groot is, doesn't know where anything is going on. She just knows, hey, we're in the ship and you're supposed to be here someplace, too. So this whole sequence with Rocket takes place and Rocket comes to look, you know, hog, thank God you're alive. And he goes, why is Nebula trying to contact us? And he goes, huh? He goes, yeah, look, he, like the, the the signal's going off. And they finally make contact. She go, and they both have this like awkward exchange, but it's still funny where it's like, oh, hey, uh, where are you? Oh, we're, we're safe. We're on the ship. Wait, what? Where are you? We're on the high evolutionary ship. Oh, shit. Okay, well, we'll come and get you. Yeah, so they make the plan to go get it. It's this crazy sequence. That, like, this is where I think most fans really have a lot to talk about is when they make their way to the high evolutionary ship. And mm-hmm. it's this great fight sequence in space with Rocket and, and Star-Lord. And they're making their way on. It's like fighter jets are going on. Adam Warlock is in the building, too. Yeah. You know, obviously, he's got a little bone to pick with the high evolutionary. 
But we do see the Guardians make their way onto the ship mm-hmm. because everybody is now starting to f- basically shift their attention to nowhere. Right. So the Guardians land to the sound of the BC Boys, No Sleep Till Brooklyn. <laughs> oh, greatest fight sequence ever. Yeah, and we get one of the wildest scenes in Marvel action history. Mm-hmm. It's up there with the hallway scene from Daredevil Season 1. Yep. Pretty much one camera take. Holy shit. All over the place in one hallway. Oh, my God. And you see the Guardians united doing what they do best. This is the moment you're like, okay, this team is legit. I've seen some pretty great action sequences in my life. You know, Anakin and Obi-Wan in uh, Revenge of the Sith comes to mind. This one's up there, though. Just with the way it was shot, basically one shot down a hallway Beastie Boys playing in the background. Oh, my God. This was awesome. Could not have been better. Absolutely not. So they wind up making the save, uh, finally getting to where they need to. Mantis leads the the uh, abisks, as, mm-hmm. uh, uh, abilisks, as they're called. I'm sorry. I'm butchering the name. Just the creatures yeah. start coming through. Yeah. So they do wind up getting to nowhere. And obviously, I know we didn't spend a lot of time talking about Cosmo the uh, – Astronaut dog. The the Soviet space dog. Yeah. Yes. And Craglin, uh, who is. The... Craglin said he uh, Cosmo's not a good boy. And Cosmo spent the rest of the movie going, Tell Sam, a good boy. Take it back. Yeah. Which they, was funny. Yeah. I mean, Sean Gunn, who's played Craglin the entire time, has been kind of the lost henchman. Co- I, I enjoyed Cosmo. Yeah. It, it, it was a nice comedic break. Yeah. Cosmo definitely was a nice comedic break and obviously played a big part holding the telekinetic tunnel open. Yes. Connecting to get everybody off the ship made a docking port where there was no docking port. Right. But at this point too, the high evolutionary has taken like everybody's left him. He's, he's, uh, well, yeah. Cause the, he went full blown crazy. Yeah. And, and was like where the other scientists were like, no, Hey, we need like our ship is being destroyed. We need to leave, pull back and leave or we'll be dead. Mm-hmm. And he's like, nah, fuck this full speed ahead. Yeah. You know, ride or die, you know, <laughs> ride or die. Like whatever. And that's when you see the female sidekick scientists turn on him. The other scientists and the other security guards in the room all pull their guns on him and basically tell that I don't know what the role was. I could just call him a helmsman. Mm-hmm. You know, the helmsman of the ship, he goes and basically says, helmsman, I'm taking control of the ship. Here's what you're going to do. You're going to disengage and you're going to we're going to withdraw. And, and at that point, the high evolutionary goes, OK, and he destroys the entire uh, bridge of the ship yeah like fraught like it's it's still quote-unquote intact in mm-hmm. that you can walk in there and that's you can breathe but all of the equipment's vaporized yeah he basically unleashes this blast and just takes out everybody which is absolutely insane so rocket though knows that there's more business to be had so while everybody is getting off the ship like he kind of breaks away to do his own thing and he goes into where he knows the animals have been captured mm-hmm. on the ship because he's been there. Yeah, because he he gets a quick flashback. He recognizes it. Yeah. So he goes there and realizes, you know, where he was, and he sees all these raccoons mm-hmm. in a cage. All these other animals, too. Yeah. yeah. So he winds up freeing everybody, and this is where the high evolutionary shows up. And he finally recognizes something that he's been denying the entire time. Since the first movie and the first scene, well, one of the first scenes, mm-hmm. we saw him in this franchise. What has he always said? Oh, you're a raccoon. I'm not a raccoon. Oh, it's a raccoon. I'm not a raccoon. He sees what's essentially what you would see at a zoo, like a little 
nameplate nameplate plaque describing what the animal is, where it's from, and yada yada yada. And then it just says species raccoon. And the camera made sure to show you the little plate because hey, it's from North American population. Yada yada yada. And it zooms in on rac- raccoon. And from that point on in the movie, he's ro- not just rocket. He's rocket raccoon. Yep. So he takes the fight to the high evolutionary, but like I said, the rest of the guardians jump in. And this is where you have this great sequence. I almost want to say it was almost too short lived. Yeah. Almost like almost yeah. to a bit. But at this point in the yeah. movie, it's almost two and a half hours in yeah, easily. Yeah. So I understand why they kept it quick, but they basically establish the high evolutionary has been defeated by mm-hmm. the guardians in general. Like everybody gets a, their shot in on. Them. Yeah, they do. So it's a it's a cool sequence uniting everybody, especially for Rocket. He has that bittersweet moment of he, just like he has the chance to kill him. Yeah, and, and he chooses not to, and and he realizes if I do this, I'm no better than him. Yep, but he takes his mask off. Yeah, he does. They had, and you could see the damage Rocket did. Yo, he re- he, re- you know what he reminded me of? He reminded me of Giancarlo Esposito in Breaking Bad. Yep. After the explosion, and like you see the one side of his face, and it looks perfectly fine, and then he turns face, and you go, "Oh my god!" Yeah, it was all same skull. same thing. Like you see his face, you go, oh, "Okay," and then you pull the mask off, and you go, "Holy fuck!" Yeah, it was amazing seeing this play out. But they wind up leaving him on the ship to die. Yeah. So maybe we'll, well see him come back. We, we think. We think. but Comics, there was nobody. Yeah, you know what? Which I'm perfectly fine if we see him come back at a later date. I'm not going to lie. Oh, I am it. too. But the Guardians wind up getting everybody off. and uh, Peter almost dies. Peter almost dies because he want, he's the last one on the ship trying to save everybody. And he winds up getting saved by Adam Warlock, who was saved by Groot. Yeah. And I and remember Adam Warlock, you get and the one thing too, which I, I forgot to go into a little more detail about this. Mm-hmm. When he's hatched from the cocoon, yeah, he's still a child. Right, and it's even brought up by his mother that he was hatched early. Yeah. And the high evolutionary basically said this is fairly early in the movie. Cause this is I think this is after he goes back, gets back from nowhere after failing and almost dying. Mm-hmm. And and his mother goes, Well, you did hatch him from his cocoon early, that like he's not fully developed yet. And the high evolutionary, this is where he sets up like he can do no wrong in his eyes. He goes, no, I don't make mistakes. He's ready. Yeah. But we do see that he goes through this bit of growing up. Yeah. In a short amount of time. Has a little redemption. Because like I I said, he's just like he doesn't understand why Groot saves him. And he more or less gets told everybody deserves a second chance. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, because he says, I am I am Groot, I am Groot. Yeah. And he goes, oh, what, what, what did he say? And that's when Drax says he, he feels everyone deserves a second chance, even you. Yeah, because Gra- Drax can translate. This well, is one thing that we well, find out this entire movie franchise. Everybody can translate. It's just Gamora can't because she ain't been around that long. Yeah. She starts to by the end of the movie. But Drax is the one that winds up translating to the children about what's going on. Yeah, to, that, to that, that, that was a wild sequence. They're trying to mime and, and sign what's going on to the children the entire time. And they're like, they can't understand tracks. Oh no, I understood them the whole time. Yeah. So he's more or less like Doug's Ram- Doug Ramsey, a cipher. Yeah. Which is a weird, it's a weird comparison. If you know, both heroes, just put that out there, but everybody gets saved and you do have the almost uh, Michelangelo touch. When yeah. Adam Warlock flies. Oh my into God. That, I don't know why they did that, but there was something funny about that. It, it, yeah. Well, it just plays into the awkwardness because Adam Warlock is considered to be a God. Yeah. 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 So you, you can kind of understand that. Well, meanwhile, star Lord is, he re- tries to do the superhero, like use the explosion to boost him forward. And it does, but not nearly. Far well, he's enough. in space. I mean, what's he uh, expecting to get shot yeah. you know, far away? It just, it doesn't yeah. work that way. So everybody winds up getting saved. Mm-hmm. Then we go to the end of the film. Yep. Where we've had a lot go on, and this, I got to admit, this felt really forced and really sudden. Mm-hmm. 
But when they get back to nowhere, they're rebuilding everything. Because it got split open. It got split open during the fight sequence, which, I mean, like I said, that that got dealt with pretty quick. Like, it was beginning, yeah. it was looking bad, and then all of a sudden it gets saved. So, yeah. you know, reasons for that. We do see that Quill has a team meeting and basically says, I'm going back to Earth. I've had enough of this. I've, I've had enough. Because it does get brought up that his grandfather is still there. Right. Uh, Mantis brings us up to him. Yeah. And says, like, you know, your grandfather is still on Earth. You haven't seen him since you were kidnapped and, way and, back when. And Peter goes, well, why would I want to see him? My my mother died in the hospital and he threw me out of the room. Yeah. And she's like, there's a lot of things you need to go take care of there mm-hmm. that you don't know about. And you should go. So he winds up saying, I'm leaving. Mm-hmm. We do see that Mantis falls in the same vein and says, for the first time, I don't have to follow anybody. I'm going to follow yeah, myself. She, you know, for a good portion of my life, I did what Ego said. Mm-hmm. And then for another portion of my life, I did what the Guardian said. Yeah, she's like, I've never had time to do what I want to do. Yeah. I need to figure out who I am. And that, that was the one that I understood. Like, out of all of them, I'm like, you know what? I understand that. Yeah, Mantis made the most sense. Yeah. So she winds up taking off with her creatures. Gamora winds up going with back the to, the, to the Ravagers. Yeah. So, and you know what? I, I got to admit, I wasn't mad about this. No. Because her character is not a guardian. Right. I mean, she even says several times throughout the movie, it's just she's got to use a, a rubber mallet to get it through Quill's head. Mm. That, like, as much as you want me to be the woman you fell in love with, I'm not her. Yeah. And Quill finally realizes by the end of the movie, shortly before they have the meeting, he's like, hey, you know what? I understand. Like, like there may be a part of you inside that is the woman I know, but like on the outside, that's not you. And I'm okay with that. Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's a great sequence there that she takes off and rejoins Sylvester Stallone's led Ravengers, Uh, which, I mean, like I say, it ties back to the original Guardians. It's a fun scene that happens there. And we do find out that with everybody leaving, there's one person that's going to be running nowhere, yeah. and that's Nebula. Yeah. Who has now emerged as the focal point of reuniting everybody. She wants to give, well, because all the kids are on, on nowhere now, and she says she wants to rebuild nowhere and make it better and give these kids a life like she never had. Yeah. So she has this, you know, almost like an epiphany. Yeah. About, like, I, yeah. Can, I can do something and there's no strings on me. Well, and she and she realized she doesn't have to be the weapon Thanos made her to be. Mm-hmm. So she's focused on doing that, and she actually winds up talking Drax into helping her. Right, because Drax wants to leave, and she's like, "No, I need I need you here. I can't do this without you." And she says, "You're not a destroyer. You're a father," mm-hmm. which was nice. Oh yeah, which I mean, it's a good line. It it plays into his character, like I say, from the comics a little bit more than they touched upon for this franchise, which like it's fine. But it makes perfect sense. And then you see everybody kind of having their goodbye moments to the sound of Florence and the Machine's dog days are over. Side note, Florence has seen the scene. There's a video going around, I believe, on her TikTok page, but you can look it up on Twitter, YouTube, everywhere else, of Florence reacting to her song being in the movie. And it is it is as great as you would expect it oh, to be. Oh, that's awesome. If So highly recommend you check it out. Yeah, so it's, it's capped off with Groot saying something that... Threw some people off. Threw me off. That's for goddamn sure. But, but the reasoning for it makes sense. Because he says, not I, not I'm Groot. I love you all. I love you all. And you know why he said that? No. Because now we understand Groot because we are part of the family. Oh. That's okay. why they did that. 
Oh, okay. Yeah. That makes sense now. So I just I just was chalked up to reasons and I was like, why the fuck did that happen? No. No, okay, that makes sense. That's why. Because now oh, okay. everybody's part of the family that, oh, okay. and now you say goodbye to that family. And that's how the movie ends. And then we go to the bonus scenes. And the first one might throw some people off because Rocket is now going to be running the Guardians. Mm-hmm. Like I know we didn't spend a lot of time you know mentioning that, but it plays into the Guardians have always been his family. He now has a new one to run. Mm-hmm. And we do see the introduction of the new lineup. Yep. So we do see Craiglin is there. Yeah, Craiglin, uh, Cosmo, a fully grown Groot, bigger yes. than we ever saw him. Yes. Uh, Craiglin, Adam Warlock is there, and then uh, one of the rescue children uh, named Phyla. Yes. Now, Phyla is known in the comics as Quasar. Oh, by the way, we would be remiss to mention Adam's pet Blurp is there as well. Yeah, we yeah I know we didn't spend any time talking about that. He I mean, picked up a pet. Yeah, but we do see an introduction of a character that I thought was this person. Mm-hmm. Obviously, she's younger than the one we see in the comics, and that's Philavel, aka Quasar. Mm-hmm. Because during the sequence where you're seeing the Guardians go into action, you see her hands light up. Right. So. I immediately thought it's Phylavel, who does play a role as a guardian, albeit she's older when we see her in the comics. Mm-hmm. So I figured, okay, this might be her. And then sure enough, in the credits, it said Phyla. And this is going to be a very interesting character to see because I think the next time we see her, she will be aged um, many, many years. Probably, yeah. And if you know anything about her, she is the daughter of the original Captain Marvel. Ah, okay. So... Yeah, there, there'll be uh, there's a connection there. Like I say, that you have to kind of see how it all plays out with her character. Like I said, a very fascinating one in the comics. So we do see that introduction of the new Guardians of the Galaxy, which I'm sure we're going to see at some point, either on a Disney Plus show or maybe in another movie version. But we do get another bonus scene at the end, mm-hmm. and that's Peter Quill finally gets back to Earth to catch up to his grand- grandfather. Now they're having breakfast. Yes, and he keeps getting told about there's somebody at the house that won't mow the lawn. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of speculation about who that could be, but we do know that we might get an answer to it sooner than later because at the end of this movie, it does say the legendary Star-Lord will be back. Mm-hmm. So a lot of speculation going on with that character. I don't know who it is. Well, I just think that little thing at the end of the legendary Star-Lord will return is like we're not done seeing They have plans for the character to show up again, whether it's in, you know, my guess would be one of the upcoming Avenger movies because mm-hmm. I don't think he's going to show up for Secret Invasion. That'd be kind of wild if he does, you know. But I, but I would imagine that like now he's on Earth. The battle I think for the upcoming Avenger movies are going to primarily take place on Earth, so that's going to be a, leave him available to be there for the fight and not have to go through shenanigans to get him there. I wouldn't doubt it's a Disney Plus show, much like the Christmas special, which I do like. They did plant an Easter egg in the paper that Jason. Yes, the, uh, the Kevin Bacon uh, story. Yeah, the the fact that his grandfather was reading the paper and Kevin Bacon explains all about the, yeah, uh, the, the Christmas special. The alien abduction. So, I mean, that was a nice little Easter egg there. But like I say, there's a big speculation is what we're going to see out of this. I think it's going to be a Disney Plus show. I wouldn't doubt that it's an introduction for a hero, whether it's Blue Marvel, whether it's Nova. There's a lot of ways they can go with it. And there has been a Star-Lord series that they could borrow from as well. But the thing with that is it does tie into Kitty Pride, 
So obviously I don't think they're going to do anything with mutants until they're established. I don't think it's going to be involved in that. So I don't know what we're going to see, but I would expect it's a one shot to introduce somebody else. And I know the Nova name has been thrown around quite some time. It could be that it could, like I say, there's the possibilities are endless, but in to close out with it ended things with a lot of possibilities, but it more or less ended things the way it needed to end. Mm -hmm. There's no way this movie didn't hit all the marks that it needed to. And it was literally the love letter to James Gunn or from James Gunn and the cast that became superstars from this franchise saying thank you to fans. Mm -hmm. Was it the emotional roller coaster we all thought it was at times, but not enough to really say it, it, it was a, you know, just an experience. It's a great movie though. Like I say, good, great. However you want to define it. I, but I think for what it needed to do, it established it as a one-shot film to say goodbye. Mm-hmm. And you know what? I'm more than happy with that. Yeah. Final thoughts on the film, Pat? Uh, great movie. Well, it was an okay movie. You know, for what it was, it was a nice goodbye from uh, James Gunn and what have you. Uh, you know, and and it did what it needed to. You know, it stands up on its own, and it's a good watch. But like like I said, it didn't blow me away. No, like I say, it's just too long, and they could have taken a few points out and maybe added something else in. Maybe another cameo. I, I figured we would see Michael Rooker's Yondo in longer than we saw him in this. That was a blank in your message. Yeah. yeah, I figured we, we would do something like that. Mm-hmm. But for what it needed to do, it, it got the job done, and there's a lot of buzz coming from this film, and it's a great way to say goodbye to these characters that have become part of our pop culture lives. That said, hit us up on that hashtag. Hashtag ODPHPod, Guardians of the Galaxy, Volume 3. Your thoughts. We want to hear them. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Together we can make a difference. That's been the sign off for everything live stream for the cure related ever since the event began back in 2017. Hello everyone. My name is Nick and I am the host of the live stream for the cure, an annual charity event to raise money for the cancer research Institute for immunotherapy research for a world immune to cancer. And over the past six years, we've made that difference together. Amazing listeners, amazing viewers, amazing podcast partners and content creators all coming together. And we've raised over $70,000. But this year, we're going to make our biggest difference to date. And we're going to raise $25,000 for the Cancer Research Institute. Tune into the event at twitch.tv slash livestream for the cure starting May 18th. As we're joined again by podcast partners and content creators from around the world to help the Cancer Research Institute crush cancer together we will make a difference coming back for the final segment on this edition of the odph podcast pad what you got got a couple things to talk about uh the first of which (coughs) excuse me is there was some interesting disney and hulu news that came out uh today right before we recorded uh so reading from an article on variety.com it says quote uh well the headline says quote disney plus to add hulu content in one app experience later in 2023 Uh, The article goes on to say, quote, Disney is pulling Hulu tighter into the mouse house. Uh, On Disney's earnings call Wednesday, CEO Bob Iger said the company will soon launch a one app experience in the U.S. that incorporates Hulu content into Disney+. The new combined offering will launch by the end of 2023. Available to customers who subscribe to both streaming services, he said, quote, while we will continue to offer Disney+, Hulu, and ESPN+, as standalone options, this is a logical progression of our direct-to-consumer offerings that will provide greater opportunities for advertisers while giving bundle subscribers access to more robust and streamlined content, resulting in greater audience engagement and ultimately leading to a more unified streaming experience, Iger said. 
Iger also said that Disney intends to raise the price of the regular ad-free Disney Plus tier, currently $10.99 a month, on a standalone basis, and moderately increase the price of the ad-supported plan, currently at $7.99 a month. The company's announcement to more tightly weave Hulu into Disney Plus is a sign that Disney intends to retain its ownership of Hulu. Iger on the earnings call said, quote, it has not really been fully determined what will happen with Hulu, but he uh, but he said that it's clear that the content on Disney Plus combined with general entertainment content is a very strong proposition. So where we are headed is uh, for one experience with general entertainment content on Disney Plus, he said, declining to say how the negotiations for Hulu will turn out. Starting in January 2024, Disney can require Comcast to sell its 33% stake in Hulu, and Comcast can force the sale. Iger has said Disney is evaluating all options. The streaming landscape, quote, is very, very tricky right now, uh, and before we can make any big decisions about our level of investment, our commitment to that business, we, uh, we want to understand where it could go, Iger said uh, at an investor conference in March. Under the terms of the Disney Comcast deal for Hulu, the guaranteed floor value of Hulu is $27.5 billion. Wow. Meaning Comcast's stake is worth, at least, worth a minimum of about $9.2 billion. Disney already offers a pre-discounted bundle of Disney Plus and Hulu with ads for $9.99 per month, but customers must use separate apps to stream each one. In addition, the company offers Disney Plus, Hulu, and ESPN Plus bundles for $12.99 a month with ads and $19.99 a month, no ads on Disney Plus or Hulu. Also on the earnings call, CFO Christine uh, McCarthy said Disney intends to produce lower volumes of content for streaming content and that it will be removing certain content from its streaming services as it looks to improve profitability. Disney expects to write down its fiscal quarter three uh, of $1.5 billion to $1.8 billion from removing the content, McCarthy said. Disney Plus shed 4 million subscribers in the first three months of 2023, its second consecutive quarterly drop to stand at 157.8 million uh, subscribers worldwide. Hulu gained 200,000 net new subscribers in the quarter to reach 48.2 million, and ESPN Plus increased by 400,000 to 25.3 million subscribers. So basically what's going to happen by the end of 2023 is we're going to get what the rest of the world already has in Disney Hotstar. Okay. The, the, so Hotstar is the international version of Hulu. Hulu only exists in the United States. Interesting. Uh, the rest of the world, had, you know, has. So I, I know if you go to like the Disney Plus subreddit, you see this occasionally with somebody who, you know, marks that they're out of the States. But like you will, you can go like you can go to like the UK or something like that and go watch the most recent season of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia mm-hmm. on Disney Plus because there is no Hulu in in some certain parts of the and most of the rest of the world. They have Disney Plus Hotstar. So that's why a lot of the movies you see on Hulu, you can see on Disney Plus overseas. So that's what's going to happen with that. What's going to be interesting to see is what happens with the folks that are already subscribed. Like I know my sister has the Hulu Live option, so it's going to be interesting to see what happens. With yeah, that. I have that as well. With that, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with the ESPN Plus because I know my brother-in-law also has the ESPN Plus stuff for like soccer and, and UFC and whatnot. So like 
he and it's and it's tied. They've got the all-in-one bundle, so I know if I want to watch something on ESPN Plus, I don't have to go to ESP the ESPN app to watch things. That a lot of times, it's offered right there in the Hulu Live feature, which is I gotta admit is really nice and it's really oh nice. yeah, I love Hulu Live. You know, not it's really nice to not have to switch things over. The, the price hike, okay, saw saw that coming. They they every company well doing, yeah, I mean been that's, doing that to be expected. The interesting thing is going to be how. Uh, they're going to peel back some of the stuff that's being offered on the stream. So it sounds like they're going to like put stuff on there and then pull it off, which I think might is, might be an attempt to drive subscribers to come there because as it currently stands and as has been since the start of the service, which with the few exceptions, I know there's been some that have come and gone, but that's because of previously established streaming deals. But like, a lot of the movies and a lot of the TV series, like the Disney Channel original movies, have all been there since the start, and they always will be there. Mm-hmm. So there's no rotating door. Yeah, they're one, yeah they're not moving. They're not moving. So I think it might be just a ploy to try and drive people to come back and come in because oh hey your favorite movie got added oh my god I'm gonna I want to go watch it. I totally forgot about that movie. We'll see what ends up happening with that. Uh, the, the most interesting thing is the Comcast deal because it before it was that's wild. Before it was like a 50-50 or fifty-one forty-nine split. Comcast backed out to thirty-three percent. So, like the article said, starting in January, Comcast can force Disney to pick up the tab of, of what they uh, of what Comcast does. So, di- so Comcast can turn around and go, "Hey, Disney." fork over 9.2 billion dollars you know we're making you pay for our half on the flip side they can they comcast can to say hey you know what thanks for the time we wish you well in future endeavors we're leaving Mm -hmm. on the other so on the third avenue disney can also say hey comcast you're squatting get the fuck out you know, yeah. so January of this coming year is going to be real interesting to see what happens with Hulu. There's a lot of money involved. There's a lot of money involved. And in I mean, this is just the next evolution of what streaming services are going to be doing. Yeah. I think now the market, at least in my opinion, is very, very saturated. A little bit. And I think that you really got to be enticing people to one be very cautious with their money you got to come with your a game yeah and you got to give them really something to come with like i said because there's so many other options like i say to be cautious they can go anywhere else if somebody's offering a better deal yeah for what disney offers and especially getting hulu i mean it makes the most sense i mean hulu let's be honest i i think it's it's lacking in just my opinion like it has great programming on it sure i want to say that first and foremost sure but it's lacking like that franchise show, like that identity. Yeah. It's it's had some stuff over the years, but like I use Hulu more for I use my sister's live TV login. Yeah, you know I don't think of oh I got to go watch the latest original series on Hulu. I I use Hulu for the live TV. Plus they've got the deal with FXX, so that's where I watch. It's always sunny mm-hmm. when when the new season drops. Yeah, I mean that's the one thing about it is it doesn't have like the Mandalorian. It right. doesn't have right. you know it, like Ted Hall- Lasso for. Apple TV. It doesn't Plus. have the House of the Dragon. Right. So I could understand why it's getting absorbed. Yeah. And you know, it makes perfect sense. I, yeah. you know, I, I feel like the rest of the world already has. Exactly. So it, this isn't like a super crazy game changer, if you will. And I hate using that terminology, but this is a big deal because this is going to impact a lot of things moving forward. And mm-hmm. I think for what they're going to talk about losing, I think it's going to be some of the stuff that. 
Hulu had exclusively. That could be. I think more so. I think anything that was Disney, I you know, example, Star Wars, sure. Marvel. Yeah. That's staying put. I was like, say, that ain't going nowhere. No, they're not moving anything there. But I think like some of the projects that they have coming over from Hulu, yeah. they just might not want to pick up for reasons. Yeah. And I think that they definitely are gonna make it more enticing to get Disney Plus because let's face it. We're now entering a phase two where we're hearing about production of certain shows for Star Wars and yeah. Marvel slowing down. Right. Uh, some of them have even halted. I know Blade has stopped production. Well, I mean, that's obviously due to the writer's strike. Yeah. Too. I mean, you know, that's the reason they're going with, I should say. Yeah. So with that being said, I think it's a smart move to load up because, I mean, one, you don't know when this writer's strike is going to be done. This is true. And obviously we're now hearing about more shows getting postponed. Daredevil Born Again has been the last, yeah. last one tagged to that as yeah. well. Yeah. So if they're not going to have a lot of content, it makes more sense to merge, have that content available so you don't lose subscribers. Yeah. Because let's face it, streaming is now, in my opinion, overtaking cable. That this is the whole reason the writer's strike is going on is because of streaming. And hey, shout out to the one writer who had the sign saying like, pay us or we'll spoil succession. Yeah. That shit was hysterical. Yeah. Which oh, I, my God. Which, I mean, like, to be honest with you, though, I mean, the writers are such a vital part to, they to are. making those shows happen. I like well, I like what the Wonder writer said. We saw what you did. You came up with Quibi. Yeah. Ooh, shots fired. Oh, that was, yeah, that was a dig. Say, the writers are coming up with real good signs. Yeah, they, they're not pulling any punches. They're no, definitely they're, they're definitely going with with the insults there, so to speak. Uh, switch, uh, well, you were going to say? No, but I think, though, this is this makes perfect sense to go yeah. with, and I think that yeah. to see how this is going to play out, uh, I think it's going to be an unfortunate thing seeing Hulu go because when you yeah. have that, somebody's losing jobs. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and that's the downside that nobody yeah. likes to talk about, but it's the evolution of the business, yeah. unfortunately, and this will be a new thing for the Disney regime. Like I said, with Bob Iger coming back, change it was coming. We just wasn't sure what. Yeah. So now we're going to see it firsthand when it comes to streaming. Just one request when this new service bundle deal, whatever you want to call it, comes out. Hi, if anyone in Disney is listening. Uh, anyone, they do listen. I do know. I don't want to blow up some people's spot, but yes. Anyone closely linked to Bob Iger? Can you put the Can you put the little bug in his ear? Don't do what Warner Brothers Discovery is doing because Max is coming out uh, in a couple of weeks here as we record. I believe on the 23rd. Yeah, two weeks. It's not Discovery Plus is turning into Max, and you're gonna if you have Discovery Plus downloaded on your phone, uh, tablet, or smart TV, you'll just have to update, and you'll sign in that way, or vice versa with HBO Max, that it's going to turn into Max, and you'll just have to sign in again. No, they're coming out with a whole new app that you'll have to download on your smartphone, your tablet, your T, your smart TV, whatever else. Disney, Bob Iger. Don't do that. Yeah. That's a fucking pain in the ass, and I hate it. Just, you have the ability to update your app, and it pushes itself out to the TVs and the tablets and the smartphones and, and what have you. You know that it's the visual change, and you can do everything behind the scenes. Do it that way, please. It's just a pain in the ass. They'll be smart about it. I mean, let's face it. When Disney does something, they usually nail it right the yeah. first time. Yeah. So... Uh, sticking to some streaming news, uh, we got some news about the upcoming season, season four of Jack Ryan. Well, Tom Clancy's Jack Ryan on Amazon Prime. Uh, and that is this upcoming season is going to be the final season uh, hmm. for Tom Clancy's Jack Ryan. So reading from an article on Variety.com, it says, quote, it's the end of the road for Jack Ryan. Prime Video has slated the premiere date for the fourth and final season of Tom Clancy's Jack Ryan. 
The Espionage Action Series, which stars John Krasinski as the CIA spy, will premiere the first two episodes of its final season on June 30th. Two episodes will be released weekly thereafter, with the finale of the six-episode season debuting on Prime Video on July 14th. The new episodes of Jack Ryan come to the streamer only six months after the third season debuted in December. Prime Video debuted all eight episodes of Season 3 simultaneously over the winter, but has shifted to a weekly release structure for the final season. The series was renewed for a fourth season prior to airing episodes of its third. Uh, Tom Clancy's Jack Ryan now finds Krasinski's secret agent man acting as the CIA's deputy director on a mission to investigate drug cartels, terrorist organizations, and a domestic conspiracy. Hmm. The series also stars Wendell Pierce, Michael Kelly, and Betty Gabriel, with Abby Cornish returning as well. Jack Ryan newcomers Michael Panna and Luis uh, Oswa join the ensemble for the final season. Uh, close quote. So understandable i had heard rumblings that like it was going to end after yeah. se- after season three and that they were going to introduce michael Payne and it was going to spin off into a spinoff series or something like that but then it didn't happen so i'm like oh i guess that got next but michael Payne coming this season so we'll see if that rumor i'd heard ends up coming true not saying i know anything just it was a, i was curious when season three was going to come out because i hadn't heard anything and then i read a rumor that season three was going to introduce michael Payne and the season was going to end with the show was going to end with that season. It was going to be a spinoff show. So we'll see if that happens. If you have not seen Jack Ryan, fantastic show. Uh, first three seasons are incredible. Uh, some high octane drama, I will say. And John Krasinski, you don't think he can pull off the super serious James Bond CIA spy type, given his he's most known for being in the office. Mm-hmm. He pulls it off pretty damn well. Well, you know, he's he's ending the show now because he was going to be Reed Richards. You know, I, time. Yeah, yeah, I was waiting for allegedly, somebody. Allegedly, allegedly. I was allegedly. waiting for somebody to make that rumor. Yeah, I'll start that rumor. Why not? No, the show, yeah, the show is pretty solid. I haven't watched it in full. I've been sure. meaning to, but my schedule is just. Oh, I understand. So, but everything I've heard about is good. And like I said, from what I've seen about it, Krasinski is doing his thing. So, yeah. I wouldn't doubt, though, it, it, you know, it, it spirals into him doing something else in the same uh, genre. Maybe. So, for my one shots. I know we said last week we we're going to talk uh, Star Wars Visions. I know we said we we're going to talk uh, Superman and Lois. Uh, much like Jeff Goldblum, life finds a way. Yes. And we knew we went a little over time with the Guardians. So guess what, folks? We're going to do those next week on the show. Mm-hmm. But in the meantime, Pad, we can do some spoiler-free statements. Yes. So let's do one Star Wars Visions. Star Wars Visions has been good. Uh, I like the mix-up. They Because a lot of, if you haven't seen the first season, first season was all Japanese animation studios. This season, it's been a blend. It's been a mix. There was one uh, from an uh, animation studio in India. I know there was one from the creators of Wallace and Gromit over in the United Kingdom. Uh, and then I know there was one done from an animation studio in France among others fantastic haven't finished the whole series yet i believe i got only one or two more episodes yet if you've seen it uh i believe it's the sixth episode uh it's it's the spy dancer i forget what the exact title is of the episode that one has been my favorite one thus far uh i like the mix up though it's been a lot of fun stories that kind of look at all aspects of the star wars universe and if you are not a star wars fan i highly recommend this series because you don't need to be a star wars aficionado like myself to to appreciate this show this show does not take place in canon it does not take place in any point in the timeline so you don't have to sit there with you know a charlie kelly always sunny in philadelphia like graph chart behind you trying to figure out where everything ties in it's its own separate thing it just simply borrows the universe to tell some stories and you can sit back and watch and enjoy a good story from some folks you might not think of doing a star wars story it's been an interesting experience 
I have got a lot of mixed emotions about it. Sure. Uh, mostly positive, though. Yeah. I will, I will say. Cause yeah. I always think it's very cool when shows like this take a franchise as well-established and try doing something different. Yeah. Sometimes it hits. Sometimes it doesn't. And I think for what this show is trying to do, I, I just applaud it because I like seeing different things. Yes. I like seeing change. Yes. I don't need everything to be cookie cutter. Mm-hmm. I think I've been very vocal on the show throughout the six years we've been doing this that I want to see something new and give me something new. Yeah. And I definitely have to say I agree with Pat about the one episode. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to spoil that because I want to deep dive into that next week. But I'm going to say this. If you haven't checked the show out and you're mildly interested in Star Wars, definitely go check it out. If you are into Star Wars, I know that you're being a little more specific about things. Mm-hmm. So that said, it's you got to just keep it in context. It is what it is. It's a new vision of a galaxy far, far away. I will say there has been some stuff in both seasons that I would like to see. And because that's the thing with Star Wars. You never know what's going to get taken from something that isn't canon and brought into canon. Mm-hmm. There's some stuff in both of these seasons I would love to see get brought into canon in some way. Yes, absolutely. The movie, television show, video game, I don't care what it is. Yeah. There's some. There's been some awesome stuff. Mm-hmm. And we'll be talking about that next week. Mm-hmm. And also, we're going to deep dive into next week because there is a gap in the schedule. And like I said, we went over time with Guardians here. We want to give proper due to the latest episode of Superman and Lois on the CW. Yes. So, Pat, spoiler-free statement on that. Well, I can't help but wonder if The Cure is is looking at their uh, numbers on Google and social media and their streams and plays and wonder why they're getting a bump this morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't help but wonder that. Episode was good. Uh, action-packed and drama-filled, I got to say. Mm-hmm. And I won't, like I said, spoiler-free, saw that cliffhanger ending coming again. Uh, goddamn mile away yeah as soon like i didn't see it from like super far into the episode but once you hit a certain point in the episode i'm like okay a is gonna lead to b which is gonna lead to c and yep we're we're there because like i said liz bailey my girlfriend has really gotten into the show and she was watching it with me and as soon as certain things happened i went this is gonna happen and then that thing happened and i sat there going god damn it i hate it when i'm right i agree with you uh i thought might have been their best episode of the season. Yes, and I'm not saying the ending was telegraphed or it was bad. right. No, it's just given what had happened earlier yeah. in the season. I'm like, okay, I can see how they're going to rectify this situation, and yep, they're going to do it exactly. I'm, I'm with you on that. I thought it was the best episode they've done of the season. I thought though, if you've been watching, they've left clues of where they were going. Uh huh. And they left big clues because there was a certain something that happened early in the in the season that they have not touched since. And it occurred to me when we got to a certain point in the episode, I'm like, oh, shit, I know what's happening. Exactly. I'm right there with you. But really enjoyed the episode. Really need everybody to go check that out as episode eight entitled Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. And I really want to hear some feedback from the ODPH Society. I know we have a lot of people that do listen to or will watch this show. I definitely want to get your feedback, and I definitely want you to hear us when we talk about this next week because I want to give it its proper due, but I didn't want to make this a three-hour episode. That was the issue that we were coming yeah, out with because, yeah. I say, we got a lot to talk about because as we go into our comic picks, oh boy, <laughs> Pat and I are going to read off our picks, and then there's one we have to joint break down, yeah. and we are going to be talking spoilers about it. Yeah, we are. 
So because it's one of my picks. Yep, you've been forewarned. <laughs> but Pat, I want, I want you to save that one for last when I get done with mine, and yep. then we're deep diving into that one. So I've got three, the third of which I'm saving for the end. But the other two I got to mention are Star Wars Darth Vader issue number 34 from Greg Pack. Uh, this one, listen, Darth Vader. Need I say any more? No. Uh, so, but the description on this is Unbound Force Part Two. According to the Jedi, fear leads to anger, and anger leads to hate. But does hate lead to suffering? or power. As Darth Vader's force abilities spiral out of control, his Lieutenant Sabe is caught in the maelstrom and finally must confront the horrifying consequences of her choice to serve him. Will she choose darkness over light? Listen, you can't go wrong with the Darth Vader uh, comic series, no matter who's writing it, so highly recommend you pick that one up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then also, uh, from Kevin Scott, Star Wars The High Republic, issue number nine. Uh, so the description of this one is, Do not underestimate the power of the dark side. Vildar Mac has been haunted all his life. Now, as the leveler is unleashed, the Jedi Knight faces a terrible decision. Resist the lore of the dark side or become what he fears the most to survive. Will Tay Sirik pay the ultimate price for Vildar's choice? High Republic, as I've said before, and I will continue to say, is some of the best storytelling they are doing in Star Wars today. If you don't want something that is tied to the any of the trilogies, minus Yoda being there, because Yoda was 900 years old when he died, and this is 300 years before the, the movies. Mm-hmm. So Yoda is uh, in, occasionally in a scene, but it's not super important, doesn't tie in all the time. But this ties in in no way, shape, or form to the trilogies. It's something separate. It's something different. It's something in literally a time period I don't think they've ever explored current canon or old canon. You know, highly recommend you check out all the High Republic stuff. It's fantastic stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So for my picks, there's a new Green Lantern book out for the Dawn of DC. Hearing a lot of buzz by behind this. I definitely want to go pick that up. The Dawn of DC stuff has been on point. So if you're looking to get back into DC Comics, like if you took a break for whatever reason, mm-hmm. it's a perfect time to get back in. They're doing a lot of really cool stuff, focusing back on the heroes. Mm. And like I say, if it's anything like the Superman line, and I know that they're retooling the Flash a little bit, uh, the Green Lantern one definitely looks appealing to me, so I'm excited to go check that one out. And like I said, number one just hit the shelves this week. Also, hitting the shelves, Pad, there's a franchise that I don't think you're very aware of. Okay. And it's called the Incal. I don't think so. From Alejandro Jordowiski mm-hmm. and Jean Mobius Jarot. Mm. Now, this series debuted in 1980. So it's definitely stretched upon the 43 years. Okay. And if you know Mobius, like I said, you might you might not know him because I know you got in the comics a little later. Right. Very legendary artist. This is a very unique sci-fi series. That is one of the most well-known franchises in, in in science fiction. Okay, and to the point, Taika Waititi is directing an adaptation okay. of this. So that is coming out sometime in the near future. I don't know because he's also working on a Star Wars movie. Yeah, he's got a lot on his he's plate. He's a busy dude, right? But he is he is attached to this. So. That being said, there is a book spinning out of this universe, the Incalverse, as I call it, uh, Incal Dying Star. It's coming off the Humanoids Inc. imprint, and this one has a couple of creators that we've talked about on the show before. Dan Waters is the writer. He is does the book um, The Seasons Have Teeth by Boom Studios, and John Davis Hunt, who does a phenomenal job with his stuff from Valiant alone, Shadow Man, Bloodshot Unleashed. Uh, they really take a stab in this, to the this sci-fi universe 
And it is a really kind of interesting story that's playing out because it's about one of the side uh, characters, Commander Cayman, mm-hmm. and who's the head of the Dying Star. And it's like a pirate, it's like almost like a pirate ship in space. And where it goes is it's dealing like with the aftermath of like he's lost his love of his life. He's his crew has been defeated and they're ghosts now. And he's more or less trying to find his way. And he does come across an object that is now connecting him with somebody else. And it's this really wild, crazy, tragic love story. It is not for the squeamish, though. I'm going to be very honest. Some of the imagery in here is going to be a little tough mm. for some people. Now, am I going to give it the parental warning that I usually do with my blog? No. But I'm going to tell you right now, like, they really dive into the complexity of the character. He's somebody that originally, like, you don't really root for. Mm-hmm. But you do wind up coming around when he meets this mysterious Aurora. And where their story goes, it's really an interesting read. They do a lot of cool things here. It's something that if you're super into sci-fi comics, you'll definitely want to check out and keep on your radar because they have a lot of stuff coming out, obviously, with a movie coming in the near future. Uh, there's going to be a lot more from the Incalverse that you definitely want to keep your eyes off for. Humanoids has a lot of interesting books lined up. In fact, there's going to be one dropping in June that I am super, super excited to talk about. And rumor has it we might be talking to the author of that book, and I am super amped up to talk to her. Yeah, I looked up on uh, Taika Waititi's IMDb page, and along with the six other projects he's got in, in upcoming for writing, uh, the Incal is listed there, and it's screenplay by, and it is currently listed in pre-production. Yeah. But, but like I said, the man's got that plus six other things he's got in pre-production uh, listed on IMDb, and that's just his writing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, if you ever checked out the graphic novel, like it's definitely one you'll see influences in a lot of things. It's, it's very well praised. By a lot of creators in, in movies, TVs, and comics. So, yeah. it, like I say, the book is something, it's it's kind of interesting, especially if you're just jumping into the universe for this. Right. So, it's something to keep on your radar at the comic shops. And like I say, can't wait to see more from this imprint. And like I say, there's a book coming out next month. I'm super excited to talk about, but I can't say anything right now for reasons. Uh, also, picks this week. I know, Pad, you do not do horror comics, but... Nope. The home of horror comics, in my opinion, is Boom Studios. My gosh, they're putting out so many good books lately. And they're adding another one to the roster, Ghost Lore, by Cullen Bunn, Leo Max. Uh, This one is a wild story. Mm -hmm. Absolutely insane. It's about a family that uh, takes a ill-fated trip. And there is a car crash because somebody is dodging somebody in the road, and it turns out they're not there. And the story spirals from there. It's a really crazy read, um, but it's Cullen Bunn, and he does horror like nobody else. And this story just goes into a lot of crazy directions. And like I say, it is definitely worth picking up at the comic shops. I gave it an 8.5 out of 10 on the scale. Uh, so you definitely want to go check this out if you're into horror comics. Like I say, really cool twist ending, and they're just getting started with this. So like I say, I don't want to spoil too much going on with it. But Boom Studios, obviously, doing really big things there. From Image Comics, one of my favorite new series, Phantom Road, Jeff Lemire, Gabriel Walta. And this story is basically the highway to horror itself. Uh, Dom, the truck driver who winds up helping Birdie, who's was her fiance was killed in a car crash and there's a mysterious object that has transported him to a different uh, universe and and back has got a lot going on with their story 
And they do something very interesting for this issue, Pat. Okay. They leave Dom and Birdie out. Hmm. They focus on introducing a new character, and you find out about how the FBI agent that is now on the case is connected there and the breakdown of what's going on. So like I say, I don't want to say it, it's it's not connecting the story, but much like <laughs> we talked about the Mandalorian and the one episode everybody thought was filler. Right. Turned out not to be. Right. Same kind of vibe here. Oh. So it's one, like I say, if you haven't checked the series out, I really think you should. It's a very unique story. It's got a, a cool vibe to it. And like I say, for this issue, they went uh, into a different direction. And I and I thought it was good, but like I say, they're building a lot. So there's sure. there's not a lot happening that's going to pay off now, but down the road, absolutely. So you definitely want to keep an eye out for that. And my last pick is one of my favorite series from Image Comics as well, too. This series has been a staple in my collection since it came out. Black Cloak number 5, Kelly Thompson, Meredith McLaren. The sci-fi murder mystery going on here has been absolutely incredible each and every time out. It's been one that, like, I can't sing the praises up enough and where they're going this issue. Like I say, they dive more into the mystery, more secrets are revealed, and it's one that you definitely want to keep your eye out for when you get to the comic shops as well, too. Nine out of ten this week, hands down. I almost forgot, too, there's a brand-new book out entitled Something Epic Pad. Oh, okay. And this one is a really, like, interesting story. Uh, Simon... Kerensky. Uh, he's done work on The Punisher and Spawn. Yeah. A uh, very visually intense book. And it really puts in a question is perception really reality? Mm. And it follows this 14 year old boy named Danny Dillon. And more or less, what he's seeing as his ima- imagination is actually like a real world. Right. And it goes into like a really interesting concept. Like it, it was one that kind of threw me for a loop a little bit. But it's very different. And I'm really interested to see where this goes. Like it's, it said, it kind of threw me for a loop. Visually impressive as all can be. Uh, Karansky's on the artwork and doing a lot of really cool visuals here. A lot of like two-page spreads and really yeah. deep diving into the idea about ma- imagination, like what's behind it. So it's something that if you're looking for something different, like I tell you, something epic is something you definitely want to keep an eye out for. So Image Comics doing big things too, like I say. And definitely, uh, we have got to talk about one. I can't leave talking comics this week until we talk about arguably the most debated comic in recent memory, and dare I say, the run. And we've had our friends list, such as Joey from So Wizard Podcast, has been breaking it down. I believe Stu from SWO has talked about it. Brian Wayne from Cheers to Comics has got some opinions on this as well. Pad and I have conflicting opinions on this one. But we can agree to disagree because we have those respectable conversations. Pad, what are we talking about? Amazing Spider-Man issue number 25, which came out today from uh, Zeb Wells, currently the number one comic on uh, Amazon right now, ahead of Batman issue 135 from Chip Zdarsky, uh, issue number one of Sins of Sinister Dominion from Karen Gillian, uh, ahead of Fantastic Four issue number seven from Ryan North, and then ahead of Gotham Academy number one, Maps of Mystery from Carl uh, Kershaw. Uh, <laughs> All right, let's get into it. We are going to be talking spoilers. Let's not even pull any punches about this. Pad, what is your take on this? I mean, yeah, it's it's okay. It's not the best thing I've ever read. It's not the worst thing I've ever read. Honestly, it, to me, it's filler. You know, I've I've been keeping up with with the run and keeping up with where things are going. So, it's nothing earth shattering. If if you've been reading along, it's kind of like A to B to C. And I'm like, oh, okay. You know, like I I saw the reaction online, and normally I wait until 
you know, later in the day to read it or the next couple of days to read it when I got some free time. But this one was getting such a reaction online that, you know, I went, okay, I, I need to pick this up now and, and read it. And I read it and was like, okay, what's all the fuss about? Like, I, I, I understand why people are frustrated with it, but at the same time I, I read through it and I'm like, okay. See, the thing about this, we have to kind of give a little backstory. Marvel had been touting on social media and everybody involved with this book, like issues 25-26 are going to be one of the most controversial issues in Spider-Man history. It kind of paraphrased a little bit. Like, there's a lot of hype surrounding this book, and there's going to be a lot of reaction <clears throat> to what happens here because the story is entitled, What Happened to Mary Jane? And how they've been playing this out, like I said, Zeb Wells has been really going some places with this. I know the fan reaction has not been very overwhelming for this. And you know, one thing I always say is this. Like what you like. I'm never going to rip on somebody if you like something that I don't. Like I might just not agree with it, but I always respect the opinions. And one thing that we're seeing here is uh, things are kind of shifting to be toxic. Mm-hmm. And that... I always hate seeing that in comics. Some of the reactions I've seen, especially on Reddit and Twitter, have been uh, less than friendly. Yeah, to say the least. Like it's it. There's a line when you can say I don't like something, and yeah. there's a line where you cross it. Yeah, uh, there was at one point I saw on Reddit, I believe it was, where somebody said it would have been, you know, considering this issue is like 47, 50 pages, whatever it ends up working out to be. Amazon has it listed as forty-seven pages. Pages. Um, but John Romita is the artist for this for this issue. John Romita Jr. Yep. It, it did the cover art and did the is the artist for this issue. There was one person I saw on Reddit today that said it would have been better if John Romita just did fifty pages of a turd uh, on the page because I would have been better suited to my time. Yeah, and especially to uh, reading a quote that's been kind of leaked around, and I'm just going to paraphrase a bit. Uh, Nick Lowe had kind of advised Nick Lowe is the editor of the Spider-Man books mm-hmm. uh, has advised uh, Zeb to avoid comic conventions right now yeah. uh, because of the fan reaction that's coming out. So I believe that came from Popverse, if I'm not mistaken, for the interview. So uh, you can go check that online because there is just a lot of people that are feeling a certain way about this book. Mm-hmm. And my thing about it is I did not like this book. Um, just because like I jumped in and I mean, the whole premise is pad can actually explain this a little better to me. Cause it was confusing at points. Well, yeah. Cause you decided to jump in cold at issue 25. Yes. No. no so basically Peter and Mary, the whole premise and the whole thing with this has been what's going on. Why, why does, what did Peter do? Why does, why does Mary Jane hate Peter? And, and this whole story arc they've been doing is we're finally going to find out what happened. Why does, why does Mary Jane hate Peter and, and X, Y, and Z. So the issue opens up, well, the this kind of arc, you know, where you really jump in is Peter's in and Mary Jane got sucked into an alternate dimension and they got trapped there. Mm-hmm. You know, they got trapped there by this guy named Paul, you know, and, and he's the one, he's the one who, who trapped there. And I apologize if I'm butchering some of this, but I'm trying to remember like the last five months of. Um, right. Sure. It's not. A just paraphrase the best we can. You know, so they're kind of going through the thing, through the motions, and they're just trying to survive. And they end up <clears throat> running into the guy who trapped them there, Paul. And they're like, what the hell are you doing here? And, and he tries helping him because he feels like he wronged them in some sort of way. You know, but the issue is, so he's trying to work on this uh, this method to get them back to their dimension. 
So Peter's like, here, let me take a look at it. And he ends up figuring out whatever issues Paul was having. The only issue is, is this device he creates can only let one person through. Mm -hmm. So Peter's idea is he wants to send Mary Jane back to their earth, notify the Fantastic Four, because Ken, who's the smartest person usually in the Marvel Comics universe? Reed Richards. Who's the one guy in this instance you would want to call for help in this instance? Reed Richards. So that's his whole plan. Mm -hmm. The issue being is this Mayan deity comes showing up wrecking the goddamn house and wants to kill Spider-Man because he's, I need to sacrifice Spider-Man for this ritual, this world-ending ritual, whatever it is. And and so Mary Jane go, realizes this and goes, if I leave and Peter stays here, Peter is going to die. He's not looking for me. So I'm going to send Peter. So Peter gets sent back to Earth. All the meanwhile, the deity's got like a hold of Peter. It gets cut in half and the deity gets it gets quote unquote killed. Mm-hmm. Don't know if you can kill a God, but we'll find out reasons. Peter ends up back on earth and, and certain parties find out that something happened because his appearance back on earth, he ends up in Pennsylvania. It gets detected and it's basically the energy equivalent of a WMD getting exploded over the United States. So the feds find out about it. So Peter ends up in this field. Cops are cops are coming. He bails before they can find him stupidly buries his suit that gets found out later. They find out he was there. Mm-hmm. So he ends up back in New York and he goes, all right, I need to go back there. He kind of starts to follow through with his plan. I'm going to go find Reed goes to the Baxter building. He just finds Johnny and the thing. And he goes, Hey, where, uh, well, first after the, the tower tries to attack him, you know, he goes, Hey, where's Reed? I need, I need to talk to you. Oh, well, he's off world. He's dealing with another planet that its atmosphere is failing. Oh, hey, well, that, that's fine. I need to borrow his his lab. I, I need to take care of some stuff. And they're like, well, we can't do that. You know, we got to verify you are who you, you say you are. We got to make sure you are our Peter. And he flips the fuck out and goes, nope, sorry. I need your mini fusion reactor, whatever it is. And he takes that and beats the shit out of the thing in Johnny Storm and leaves. So at this point, the feds are looking for Peter. The Fantastic Four and Johnny and Thing are looking for Peter, and Captain America has found out about what's going on. And he tracks Peter down because Peter goes, oh, well, I'm, I'm going to walk around as Peter Parker. Johnny Storm doesn't know who Peter Par- uh, Spider-Man's real identity is. Mm-hmm. But Captain America tracks him down because he knows who he is. And, and Cap, tries, Cap realizes something's going on, realizes he's kind of high. He goes, hey, listen, let's figure this out. You're clearly upset about something. Let's help you out. Because Peter goes, that's good. I'm going to need... T'Challa's lab or Tony's lab, maybe both at this point. He, he And he realizes all the way along this that he gets back to New York and he overhears a person in a subway station talking about spring training. And he goes, well, wait a minute. Spring training was started like a week ago or whatever he says. He figures out that while they were in the alternate dimension for like a week, two weeks, whatever it was, only like a couple of hours or maybe a couple of days had passed Mm -hmm. on earth. So he realizes for every hour or every day I'm here, how much time or whatever the time conversion works out to be. Mary Jane is stuck on this other dimension. Mm -hmm. So he realizes he's he's got no time to play with. He's got to go and go now. Yeah. All the meanwhile, side note, I forgot to mention Norman Osborn was at his, his uh, aunt May's apartment and tried to help him, but he didn't want any help from Norman Osborn. Um, But so he, he flakes on, 
the Fantastic Four. Captain America tries to show up and explain to him what's going on, get him to explain what's going on. And he goes, hey, listen, we can do all that. But listen, the feds are ready to declare you public enemy, you know, an enemy of the state and bring down the force of the entire government on your head. But they're only going to do it after I give the say so. And I'm not going to give the say so. We're going to go talk to them together and we're going to smooth this out. And then we're going to figure that out. Okay, how long is that going to take? Peter asks. Only a day, maybe two tops. And he goes, oh, well, that's a shame. And he beats the shit out of Captain America with his own shield Mm -hmm. and runs away. So he turns to the one person left who he knows can help him, Norman. So he goes to Norman for help, who then through Black Cat helps him. It's an off-page thing. You don't see it, but like uh, Black Cat seals some stuff. He gets some stuff, and they end up building the suit using the tech or using the little spiral looking device. They never named the thing of how he got back to earth. And, and Norman basically says like, this might work. This might not work. I haven't been able to check my work. I've been up for hours working on this thing. You know, you're basically forcing your way through a, uh, another, into another dimension. You could die from this. Like I need to check my work. And, and Peter's like, no, we don't have time. Activate it. So he goes, okay. At this point, and, and nothing has come from this since. Uh, Kamala Khan shows up and sees what's going on. Like after Peter's already left and she's like, what is Norman Osborn doing in my city? Like, so that's a whole thing. Well, Mm. I'm sure we'll find out later. Sure. But so Peter ends up back in the alternate dimension, finds MJ and he's like, oh my God, you know, he rescues them from the dude who's supposed to have the deity, but the deity's not alive anymore. Oh my God, I'm glad you're here. You know, I'm, I'm glad I found you. He goes to kiss her. MJ won't kiss him. And that's when we see MJ and Paul are together and there's kids. Yeah. And that's the summer up through issue 24. Yeah. So we jump in and we get caught up in like the whole time period of MJ with Paul. Right. And how they come across kids, which look oddly convenient, look like Paul and her. Yeah. So I immediately had the reaction going, oh, please don't tell me we went back to one more day. The instant gut reaction was. These kids aren't real. No, they're not. They're like Wanda's kids. How the hell do we even know if Paul's real? Yeah, and I'm guessing Paul is Mephisto. Yeah, that could be. Seriously, because of just how weird it is and how especially, in my opinion, like I understand with the backstory you were telling me about this, of how Peter was acting. Mm-hmm. But what really threw me off, and I don't like how Wells wrote him in this. This is just my opinion. Sure. When they do the confrontation, when they come back, right, and the thing and the Fantastic Four actually all show up now, right, right, because uh, Reed and Sue are back on Earth, yeah, and Peter's trying to explain what happened, and immediately that fight kind of happens. Well, he, well, they want to find out. They're like, what, the fusion reactor is what it is, whatever. Like, we want an explanation. Like, you're our friend. We want to know why you did what you did. Yeah. And he's like, I don't want to talk about it. Yeah. And he's like begging him to fight him. Like, that was the thing that threw me off. It's like, okay, now you're acting really weird in the sense like you want somebody to hit you. Well, he's he's being emotional. Right. He's being emotional. But still, it was like, it's just how awkward it just it flipped on like that. that yeah. That's what, that's why I, didn't, I was like kind of. Well, you got to remember, too, though. And this isn't me like justifying it. But like, you got to remember, no, too. No, the, the, a month has passed. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a, like a quick blink and you miss it sequence but like when they go from the alternate dimension and then they're in the hospital and it's paul getting checked on by the doctor mm-hmm. you know and, and he mentions like oh you'll be finding like a full recovery and then the doctor's talking to mj about how 
you know, oh, there's no records on him. We don't know who this guy is. Yeah. It's mentioned that like a month has gone by, I think, since they came back. Yeah. Which, like I say, it just it played into just how erratic his behavior was. Right. And I'm just going, I I am fearing that they're going to do something weird mm-hmm. with him either being caught in a spell by Mephisto and now being portrayed as public enemy number one, or they're going to do something weird. Like MJ died and she's been replaced by an apparition Mm, because of Mephisto, because all this reeked of was this writing of Peter was just so erratic. And in the sense of, I understand he's frustrated and there's a lot going on, but even when Captain America shows up right. and sees him and says, I talked to MJ, I know what you did. You could have done it a lot. You know, We could have helped you. We could have helped you. And he's just sitting there like just almost in you know the curled position. Right. And, and Cap just goes, just leave him. He's got to figure this out. Yeah. Like it was just odd, just back and forth. It's odd and it doesn't make a lot of sense, but I'm looking at it from the standpoint of, okay, I'm willing to see where this plays out because mm-hmm. the story's not over. We've still got, you know, if the I, if the Amazon listing is to be believed, it says this is issue, you know, the run is issue 25 of 30. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like we've got a, another four issues before this is all said and done. So I look at it as, you know, this being like a, if it's the first Harry Potter book, you know, we've only gotten to the mirror of Erised. Yeah. You know, we've only gotten to Christmas time in the in the story. There's still so much left to go. You know, if we're if we're talking Lord of the Rings, you know, Fellowship of the Ring, they've only just gotten, you know, to the tomb of Balin. Mm-hmm. Like, there's still so much more left to go. Wait and see where it plays out. Has it been the best Spider-Man run of all time? No, I'm not going to sit here and go recommend everybody to check it out and read it. You know, if if you're looking for something to read, sure, I mean, give it a shot. You know, no. if, if you got nothing else going, but like, am I going to sit here and tell go to everyone on the street you need to read this? You no, you know. But like I said, it's not over yet, so I'm I'm willing to sit here and go. All right, let's see where this goes before I sit here and start shitting all over it. Well, the thing about it is, I've just seen enough like with this issue like I'm going okay I am going to pick up the next issue because I want to see what this big controversy is but my fear is and I'm dreading this this reeks of Mephisto probably because he does have a fascination with Spider-Man well the whole thing is in going back to one more day Peter sold the love of him and MJ to Mephisto to save Aunt May Right. When Aunt May was uh, shot with a fatal bullet from right. an assassination attempt because of the right. Civil War. Now that Peter and MJ have been back together, I figured it might lurk that we're going to go back to that well. Right. And it's like, you did not realize last time, Marvel, in my opinion, this did not work. The fans do not want to see this whole Mephisto thing play out with Peter and MJ because it's just messy. Right. And and Marvel seems to have this fascination with keeping them apart, despite the fact that Peter and MJ are the Marvel version of Clark and Lois. Yeah. Deny it, fear it, run from it. They are inevitable. Yeah, that's the whole point of it. It's like there's for whatever reason, they just got this love affair like that. He has better stories when he's not married to MJ. And I'm sorry, like I I don't see that here. I, right. I never have seen that. The whole thing about Spider-Man, like, yeah, he, sure, he was a bachelor in the 70s and run, you know, in that run. Sure. When it was Gwen and MJ and all that nonsense. Sure. But, like, sure. listen, you can only do the Archie, Betty, Veronica for so long. Yeah. 
it's not going to work in this present day and time. I'm sorry. It just, it, it's not going to play out. But the fact that, like, you're bringing in the supernatural effect, like, yeah, stop. Yeah. I'm sorry. That just No, that's just not a good look, in my opinion, because you now make things way too messy and way too over-the-top. Soap opera Yeah. Like, it's even, like, over that level. It's like, I'm sorry. This is human emotion compared to, like, now you, you, yeah. you essentially the devil's involved. Like, yeah. Like, what are we doing here? Like, this is why the story failed last time and had such a, uh, a reaction from fans. And how you tried retcon in with omit. Like, stop. And the fact that if this is where we're going with this, because that's what it feels like to me, because Peter's behavior is so freaking erratic, and Mary Jane's trying to say, like, I know what you did, but you could have done it a lot better. Well, what did he do? And that's the big question, because, what, you? she was lost in the timeline for four years. That's something out of his hands. Right. So unless he did something crazy like either one was framed for killing Paul. Right. Or, you know, doing something on that level that Mephisto was behind or some reason behind. It's just not pairing up to the behavior of him. Like, he's always been a self-loather and no questions asked. Mm -hmm. But this has been, like, over the top in the fact that, like, honestly, God, this felt like local man to me. Like, the Uh. series from Image. Which is a fantastic story. Like I'm not, and I'm not making fun of that. But the whole premise of that is a hero is kicked off a team for something he did, and nobody is talking about it. So it's like, okay, are we doing the same vein here? That why does MJ hate you that much? And I'm guessing it's because it was exposed that the Mephisto was involved, took back the love that she had, their love, and took the kids with him. And that okay. would be something she would hate because okay. she's always, you know, uh, like I say. Oh, I could get into this damn thing, but I'm just, like I say, we'll definitely be talking about 26 when that comes out. Uh, end of the month, I believe, it comes out May 31st. Okay. Well, we'll definitely talk about it. But like I say, for the reaction the fans are giving, though, like, listen, you can have a, a passionate response yeah. like I do. Oh, yeah. But did you ever hear me at one time say, I don't want to see Zeb Wells or punch him in oh, the face this, or this, any this nonsense is, this like is that? character assassination. This is the Lord. Oh, Peter needs to be with MJ. He needs to have those first good experiences with MJ. To quote, Jesus to, Christ. To quote a great line, we're talking about fictional characters. Yeah, right. you can you can like the issue. You can not like the issue. You can be neutral on the issue on the issue until, it fin- until the story finishes. But, like, just some of the takes. Jesus Christ, step out and get some air. Yeah, like seriously, the the fact that it's 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 open, crossing it's crossing the line. Open a window. Yeah, folks, we need to realize this is forms of entertainment. If you don't like it, don't read it. Like I said, I didn't love it. I didn't hate it. I went. Yeah. And I read it. And went, okay. Yeah. Like we'll, me, see where, we'll see where it goes. Me, I was just like, oh, this is supposed to be the hype. I know where they're going, and I hope I'm wrong on every single level. Yeah. But if I'm not. Guess what? The books are still coming out. I just don't have to pick them up, and that's where, like yeah. I say, I haven't been a fan of this run. It's just me personally. I just don't like it, and I. But I dived in like Pat such upon. I dived in cold because I was like, okay, what's the big hype about? And for seven bucks for the issue, I was like, oh, that's a lot. And I mean, it gets you caught up to speed, but I think for the payoff is, we're all signs point to we're re, we're revisiting one more day. Could be. And I don't want to have anything to do with that. Could be. But regardless of that, folks, like we always end the entertainment edition with, make sure you go out and support your favorite local comic shops wherever they're at. I hope everyone had an amazing free comic book day. Thank you to Pad for hooking me up with some issues by the time I got to my 
local comic shop they had a very successful day and they were pretty well cleaned out uh, i don't go to our local i don't go to sangaran which is one of our local uh, comic establishments every year just because <laughs> work or life get in the way uh but i was able to make it this year and for the couple for the couple times i've gone this was the longest line i think i've ever seen them have yeah which was insane yeah, which is awesome to see the pictures were online too the cosplay was on point shout out to justin incredible cosplay oh, crisis so, cosplay the, the, dude the mecha godzilla that was there the photos online do not do that thing justice. Yeah. Holy shit, that thing in person. They're on Facebook, folks, so if you need that direction, we can definitely hook that up to you, and we'll send you uh, off that link. Uh, maybe we'll be able to share that page on our Facebook page with Pat. If people want to find out, where do they go? ODPHpodcast.com. For anything and everything that is the ODPH, that's where you go, and we just have to say for the one and only Pat J. Thank you, thank you. I'm your host, Ken M. Thank you, as always, for listening to the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. Let us know what you think of Amazing Spider-Man, folks. We definitely want to have that conversation with you, and we'll see you next time.